Gua sobrok. Ai. <laughs> There's not a rule that you have to use the two subs. He's he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Third Sub Podcast. We're back, episode 172 of the show, and we got a very special edition of the show today. I'm your co-host Alexander Gongi-Ruzi, joined as always by Samuel Rowan, and we got quite the, the hefty list of, of, of an itinerary here. Vancouver Whitecaps played three games in one week, um, just an absolute marathon of games, all at BC Play, so... Some of you, like myself, may have gone all three. Maybe you got to one, maybe you got to two, but certainly a good time to, to be around Vancouver for the Whitecaps. Decent little run, too. I mean, we said last week the Whitecaps needed seven points out of this. They got six, so it was ultimately a failure. Hey, I said it. <laughs> if we're going to set the high bar we set last week, it is a failure. But as we can look, there are some good and some bad to take away. Otherwise, you know, CPL... The, the BC teams continue to be on opposite ends of the table, although they're tightening, they're getting close to each other. Pacific has hit a bit of a rut, but they're still still in first for now in a big game at home against Forge before a lot of road games this weekend. So I'll be interested to see that. Vancouver's made some fascinating signings as well uh, and are slowly trying to find their feet. So lots to talk about there. League One BC coming down to the wire. That one's uh, going to be a fun finish to the regular season, which is next weekend. And then the playoffs start the weekend after. So lots to look forward there. And then the most fun part, uh, we'll be welcoming in from the third sub, the long-awaited debut, 172 episodes in, about 70 episodes at least too late. But we're bringing in Caleb Wilkins to chat. Some Whitecaps de- de- development and that one's going to be a fun because we certainly have our thoughts on the good, on the bad, on what needs to be, you know, fixed. And I'm fascinated to see what Caleb has to think because there's no one out there that doesn't do a better job than just in terms of following and and, and keeping an eye on the Whitecap second, you know, second team in particular and who should be making that jump up. So, well, we'll talk about that. So, I mean, Sam, certainly uh, lots on the itinerary this week. Uh, looking forward to it and hope you're well heading into this. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a busy week. Overall, maybe this is recency bias, but a, a reasonably successful week for the Vancouver Whitecaps. Yes, they fell short of our seven-point target, but uh, you know they recovered well after a, a really crushing defeat to the Sounders at home. What a match they, they had in their hands, and they let it slip away. Uh, I thought they showed a lot of maturity the rest of the week beating a good inform Austin team and then uh, taking care of business against the LA galaxy. Both of those matches, they, they could have lost control of proceedings. Uh, there were some hairy moments, which we'll touch on, but ultimately they push both of those across the line, even missing Vanny Sartini against the galaxy, you know, some, some shenanigans along the way, but I, um, some players finding form, uh, some players continuing to show amazing form. Uh, we'll dive into all of that. And and as you laid out so well, Alex, uh, a, a full slate of programming today all across Canada. And uh, yeah, having Caleb on the show as well. We shout him out reasonably often. So it'd be nice to actually hear his thoughts on 
WFC to the, the development program in general. And eh, Hey, any, any straight thoughts he has about the, the, the first team as well. So um, yeah, looking forward to diving or into the CPL too. Exactly. Caleb so. is a man of, of many talents, which I, I will find out later on on the podcast. That's it. I'm, I'm curious. Maybe we can ask about Ray Yesley as well. And uh, what do you think? So six foot seven goalkeepers. Um, but yeah, certainly, I mean, to, to dive into the white caps, a bit of a strange, you know, time for them really, because they get a homestand, uh, three home games, all in MLS play. The first, they start off the Cascadia Derby against the Seattle Sounders, and then got a visit from Austin. Uh, you know, they're still, in my eyes, they're still the new boys on the block, even though uh, St. Louis uh, <laughs> kind of has taken that mantle for them. But the way St. Louis has kind of burst onto the scene, you almost sympathize with Austin because they had that terrible first year. They were a true expansion team, right? These St. Louises, these teams that come on and, and have too much success too early, are they really expansion teams? That's a whole other debate for another day. Uh, jokes aside. And then lastly, we got the whatever the heck you want to call them these days, the LA Galaxy. Actually, we're in a bit of good form, but the Whitecaps, uh, you know, gave them a bit of a throwback, although unbelievably hairy game for how far and how dominant it should have been of a result. But uh, because of that, the Whitecaps, for the first time since April, not just April, beginning of April, they've won back-to-back wins in MLS which is just absurd because it feels like they've had some good runs. They had that 10 game unbeaten run. Uh, you know, they had some good sequences yet somehow, some way they haven't won back-to-back games since when they beat Montreal five nil and Portland one nil in a week span in April. So it just shows you what kind of season it's been for the white caps. They've been for whatever reason, stuck in the middle. I mean, I kind of wrote about it, the mushy middle, uh, of MLS, but it's it's funny because you don't realize it. Like I was like, again, we've all been sitting here being like, this Whitecaps team is good. They play well. They have a good team. Yet you look at the record, you look at the stats, they've just been incredibly mediocre by the numbers, right? Right in terms of some of the numbers, right? Like uh, they haven't won more than uh, two games in a row this season. They haven't lost more than two games in a row this season. They they had a record. Uh, now of eight wins, seven draws, seven losses, like completely average across the board. And I, because of that, I'm pretty sure they sit just below the middle of all of MLS. Like they are completely in the middle. And I mean, Sam, I guess this kind of week, it, it kind of, you know, it kind of is, is a return to that, right? Because again, two points per game at home or whatever it ends up being, six points from three home games. Like again, it's completely average. And uh, it's what the you know the Whitecaps kind of continue to be uh, very hot and cold, and even within games, some first halves they look like a Supporters Shield winner team, and some second halves they look like they could uh, you know belong with Toronto FC and Chicago and Inter Miami. So like this Whitecaps team, they continue to be Jekyll and Hyde. It seems on on, on, on sometimes on the same day. Yeah, I think what's what's interesting about the Whitecaps this season is that yes, they're they're sort of stuck in the the mushy middle, as you say at the moment, but I think what's tantalizing, right. Is that that feels like a, an underperformance on their potential. Whereas in the past, you know, under Mark DeSantos and even the Vanity Sartini teams in the last couple seasons, it's been having to perform at their absolute maximum, go on runs right at the end of the season, just to get into that mushy middle, right? Like they're, they're well out of a playoff spot and then they push near that kind of 500 mark right at the end of the season. And now this year, I mean, you got 
players like Ryan Gold, Julian Gressel, Brian White performing really well. The rise of someone like Ali Ahmed, you know, even good showings from Levante Johnson, Simon Betcher, and you still feel like there's so much there that's untapped at this point, right? Sergio Cordova until the last couple of matches has been a complete no-show. Alessandro Shop's not had a great year. Yoitako has been good, but it's been up and down, especially recently. Uh, th- there feels like there's a lot of ways in which this team could get better pretty quickly. Like Pedro Vite didn't start the year hot at all. He's only come on recently. So yes, they're they're stuck in that middling, you know, step forward, step back, two step forward, one step back, one step forward, two steps back. Like it, it has been that way the whole season. But the sense is that if um, if statistics are going to bear out over the long term and, you know, a, a general trend is going to develop, there's a sense that it's going to go the right way and it's going to push forward. They're going to be able to get further up the table. Whereas in years past, it felt like when they were in the mushy middle, this was a, a near maximization of, of what they could realistically accomplish. So um, I, I just, I get the sense this has a very different, very different feeling at the moment. And uh, yeah, it just, it feels like they're a fifth or sixth place team or fourth, fourth, fifth, sixth place team in the West at the moment. And I think what they're down in, they're down in seventh currently, but uh, yeah, I, I think it's, hand, it's right there in the front same. of them, right? It's right there in front of them to move up the table. And, and I think that has to be exciting. And there are, yeah, there's some moments over these last couple of matches that you kind of go, ooh, like, you know, should they have looked the way they did in the last 60 minutes against the Galaxy? No, of course not. Um, you know, did Tristan Blackman uh, scare everyone on the Whitecaps with that sketchy moment late against Austin? Absolutely. But um, they're, I, I feel like things are trending in the right direction, which is, uh, which is encouraging and kind of annoying that there's this League's Cup break because... Uh, yeah, I feel like, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes, but it feels like they could just keep pushing this momentum and, and climb their way up the league table. And now they're going to have a month off, at least from, from MLS action specifically. Yeah. Well, this is the, this thing I'm struggling to kind of marry in my mind about this team is like, again, we're, I mean, I, I'm always a numbers guy. This team is good by the numbers, right? Like, again, the XG, you can go about that all until the cows go home. Like, for the most part, they've been doing a good job. It's just like, yeah, I think the the the, the inconsistency, it's something where it's like, at what point do we go, okay, this team is just genuinely inconsistent, right? Because it's like, for for most of the season, there's been this cloud hanging over, and not a cloud, except it implies it's negative, but there's always kind of been like, it's like it's cloudy out, right? It's like overcast it's not raining but it's also not sunny but there's, then there's like there's, oh, un- there's uns- uncertainty you can you know you you can't go outside without some sort of jacket because you don't know what's going to come well that's exactly it it's like right now this white cap season it's been gray skies it's been overcast and i say overcast it's like if you know it's overcast you can comfortably leave the house no jacket no umbrella but also you know Right. But it also feels like, like you mentioned, sometimes it rains and then sometimes the clouds disappear for an hour and it's beautiful and you're stuck there wearing a jacket. Like, oh, really? Right when we thought this Whitecaps team was, you know, was bad. And, and that's what's been frustrating is because, like, at least if they were, 
in that mushy middle, right? Again, you just like, oh, well, they're inconsistent. It's going to be overcast. You're just going to go outside. It is what it is. But yeah, it's it's frustrating because they show you the brilliance and then they, yeah, they, they bring the rain and it's like, yeah, I guess at what point do we say, okay, this is just a team that it's always going to be like that. It's going to be gray skies. If anything, it's ironically very fitting of Vancouver that this is a team that's very similar to its weather, but I digress. Um, but yeah, I think that what that's going to be, it's I'm, what I'm struggling to marry in my mind is just like what to expect of this team. Cause again, like we mentioned, I, I, I was very adamant at the halfway mark and you know, not everyone just agrees, but I say this is a top four team in the West. I've been saying that since day one, but I guess at what point, what I'm saying to myself is at what point do I stray from that? Okay. Like I'll hold my hand up. This isn't a top four team. And like a week like this just continued just to throw me on the fence a bit more. And like, you, you even you, you look at the, um, like I'm thinking for the playoffs, it's like, if they're a top four team, they should go in the playoffs and do well, but it's like, will they do well or will they, will they be inconsistent? Right. And it's like, as from what we've seen though, like this team also it frustrates you because it feels like any time their backs are against the wall, right? Like they've lost two in a row and there's in danger of getting a third loss or they're at a must win game at home where you're sitting like they need to win this or in the Canadian championship, they've always stepped up. So I'm th- sitting here thinking like, is that going to be a theme in the playoffs, right? Where they just a team where they scrape it into the playoffs. As soon as it's must win games, they step up or is that inconsistency just going to flare up and, I don't know. I just feel like that's kind of my my the thought process I'm struggling with is at what point do we draw the line and call them inconsistent or is this just a team that's maybe sleeping along or just needs a jolt or like what what's going on with them? Because it's just like at a certain point, this two step forward, two step back, one step forward, two step back, three steps for like a certain point. Right. Like it's just it's it makes it so hard to project what this team could be because at a certain point right like how much can you buy in on potential how much can you invest on potential especially through 22 games of a season it's one thing through five or ten and i don't know that's a that's a hard thing to to struggle with right now okay well i'll i'll throw this at you at least in the in the micro sense like only focusing on this past week because i think your comments are reasonably valid over the course of the whole season but i think for this past week right no ali ahmed in the starting lineup only played 30-something minutes. No Julian Gressel until the last match. Andres Kubas missed Seattle. Haven't had Javane Brown. Not necessarily that he's a penciled-in starter all the time, but not had Javane for any of this period of play. So I think, you know, there's part of your consistency answer right there for the end of the MLS season. If now injuries, unforeseen circumstances can throw a wrench into all of this right but i think you have to feel pretty good that you know i feel like they get at least a if you've got julian gressel and ali Ahmed on the pitch you get at least a point of that seattle match then you've got your seven for the week and you know and i think they did a good job like especially against austin managing to take all three points against a reasonably hot austin team um without some of their key players in the midfield. And uh, yeah, I, I think defensively, there are certainly some questions, like just straight up. Ranko Veselinovic has been great. Tristan Blackman's been a bit iffy since coming back from injury. They don't really have a third center back that they like permanently. They don't really have fullbacks in a back four that they like permanently. That is a bit of a problem, and I will concede that. But I, 
I think overall, I don't know. I come away from this week feeling like there's um, there's more upside there than uh, inconsistency to be worried about. And uh, you know, I don't know if they're gonna they're gonna be a top four team in the West come the end of the season, but I see them as sort of a fifth, sixth, seventh in the West team that's like a bit of a bomb threat, right? Like they can they could upset one of the top teams very easily. Um, you know, it, it is it's it's a it's a team with high upside, but also high variance. And, and I think there's a bit of that you have to live with, but I think that's also reason to be encouraged. At least, at least the variance goes in the, the upward promising direction in a way that's really exciting. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly it. And I mean, the absences are a good point. Although again, I mean, I think Kubas was the, Big one, I'd say, just because like the team falls apart without him. Certainly, Ahmed and Gressel were big losses, but yeah, I mean, it is going to be fascinating. Hopefully, they can get healthy and no more dumb international break playing through scenarios where I'll just say this maybe, maybe my attitude is different because my expectation was never for them to be a top four team in the West. I kind of thought this Mm -hmm. fifth, fifth, sixth, seventh always felt like where they were going to be with, with the high upside. So maybe if you were kind of going, well, this, this team's got the ability to be top four, I can see the frustration with the, the inconsistency, but I I guess maybe our expectations are just at slightly, our initial expectations at least were at slightly different levels. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a good point. I, I just think this roster, I think, yeah, just the play style. I think the numbers, for me, it's a top four team. I think it, it just it has been since before the season. I think they've proven that. But also, clearly, if the inconsistency continues to dog them, then maybe it isn't a top four team, right? Like it's, um, yeah. It, it, again, I think you mentioned you nail the upside, right? The upside is what makes it so hard. Maybe I see a top four team in the upside, and we just you know haven't seen it being able to be harnessed. But yeah, it's a good point. But the absences, all, all I guess I can say really is that in the second half of the season, like let's just, hopefully we can see as much of Taka Oka of Veselinovic, Blackman, um, Ahmed, Kubas, Gressel, Vite, Gold, White together out in the field together. That's eight or nine, if I'm not mistaken. It feels like those nine are the ones where I can sit here confidently and be like, those are starters. And then from there, it really depends. Cause you could argue, okay, of that group I put out, you can, you know, you could slot in Brown and Martins slash Raposo and, you know, have the, that be a front six. You can also play a back three with Ahmed at fullback and play Cordova up front, which also based on the last week isn't the dumbest thing in the world because Cordova is finally finding a bit of form. You can play around within that. You can heck, you can, yeah, you can slot in Raposo and Cordova, right? And you, you have all these come and play Ahmed at fullback. I do think those are kind of the nine players the White Caps will will want to see a lot of uh, going forward. And yeah, I think you can certainly see that Ahmed was missed. You could see that Gressel was missed. Gold's playing out of his mind. So is Vite. Really, yeah. The, the big question is 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 defensively and uh, what to make of that? Because yeah, it even feels like Takaoka's hit a bit of a wall over the past week. That's what since uh, since the lafc game that that was two goals against that game three against skc three against seattle uh, one against austin so that was a bit of a better performance but even then the goal was a bit uh iffy if i'm not mistaken and then two against the galaxy like it's something where as well yeah the defense that's 
that's also the the big issue because I mentioned nine players there, right? Like those are two defenders and six attackers and a goalkeeper or five five more attacking minded players and a goalkeeper. So really it shows that maybe the big question and where this team will ultimately end up might very well lie on their defense because it feels like their attack should be more than all right, but it's just can they get that defense to to sort out? And that's the thing for me uh, going into the season is that, yeah, you have, I mean, really going into the season, we didn't know how good Tristan Blackman was going to be even. It's only in like revisionist history now where he's played really well that is like, oh yeah, he's a penciled in starting center back match in match out. I, I don't think anyone was anticipating or just guaranteeing that was going to be a fact at the start of the season. So for me, like that was always a concern. Who are the fullbacks? Who's the second center back alongside Ranko? And that was always going to be a problem unless Laborda came in was the perfect running mate for Veselinovich and, you know, Raposo and Javane Brown were just amazing at fullback. And, you know, we've not really seen that consistency or that happen. So I, I think that's, that's something that unless they bring someone else in or they get really massive performances in the second half of the season, you know, they're going to be a bit of a, it's a bit of a do or die team, right? Like if they score two, three goals, they might concede two. So it might be a 2-2 draw. It might be a 3-2 win. It's just, I think the way they're going to live a little bit, which which will be fun to watch, but, you know, definitely frustrating at times as well. So, uh, I mean, I don't know. Vanny Sartini's got time. Can he make any tactical tweaks? Can he make any adjustments? Uh, it's going to be very interesting to find out. But Alex, I wanted to dive a little bit into kind of player thoughts, player themes over these past three matches. Uh, you mentioned some names already. And I'm going to go reasonably quick on this, but I mean, we can't bury the lead too much. Ryan Gall playing at MVP of the league type level these last six, seven, eight matches. I think he's got something like eight goals and five assists over his last nine. Uh, I don't know if that's 100% correct, but it's something in that realm. And uh, yeah, he's just been absolutely massive. This is the, you know, when they brought in Ryan Gold initially, I think this is what everyone was imagining, right? Like this player who just takes the team on his back at times, takes over matches. Um, other squads have a plan, you know, how they're going to defend Ryan Gold. And, and even so, they, they haven't been able to do it. And then, uh, you know, as a running mate, uh, not positionally, but just in terms of importance to the squad, for me, Andres Kubas, absolutely massive against Austin. Like Austin has so many dynamic transitional attacking threats and they really didn't get many chances, especially in the last like 50 plus minutes. There just was not much there. Uh, we saw how much he was missed against Seattle. You even saw what a difference it made in the second half, uh, him coming off all of a sudden, Pouge and Brugman were able to start cooking in a way they weren't able to cook in the first half. So uh, yeah, for me, those two players, like those are, it's probably not talked about enough because it's Vancouver and in an MLS wide conversation, no one really pays attention, but those are two players who are, you know, in the top tier of their position in MLS at the moment. And it, it's worth shouting out. Look, all I'll say about Ryan Gold is he has, seven goals and five assists in his last eight in MLS. Cause I'll just use MLS play. That's you. It's easy. That's I like that. You can do it times four. Uh, 
and that that's <laughs> 28 goals and a 20 assists across a full season. So yes, he is playing at a league MVP level and it absolutely does need to be talked about. I mean, I hope he gets player of the week this week. I mean, I don't know who who will end up uh, winning, but that could be he could be the first Whitecaps player in potentially history to win multiple player of the week uh, awards in one season. Uh, he's just like again, twenty goals, twenty assists is unheard of, and these are all primary, right? Like they're not the dumb MLS assists. Because I don't, I mean, the secondary assists how they count and always confuses, and you hear stats about you know. Kubas getting his third assist of the season and Takaoka getting an assist when he actually didn't get an assist. That's a whole other story. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's just the form he's in right now is it just needs to be talked about. Cause again, it's not even the numbers. Like the numbers just like do him a service. Cause if you watch the games, it's just like it's dominance. Like he's just taking over and he's playing. And I, I think he absolutely is playing the best stretch of soccer he is in a white cap shirt. I asked Vanny about that, I think, after uh uh, you know, I forget which after which game he he disagreed. Maybe I'll have to revisit with them and see if he's changed his stance on uh, on that. But I personally think it's been, you know, Ryan Gold's best stretch in a white cap shirt. And it's paying off because, I mean, this eight game stretch across that white caps have four wins, two losses, two draws. It's been one of their better stretches. And really the two draws, Ryan Gold scored the goal in each of them. They're each one one draws. And, you know, maybe they could have got a bit more. uh because I think one of them, he came off the bench because he was rested. So, like, maybe he starts that game, they win it. And, you know, it's one of those where, yeah, he's been willing them on right now and uh, they're getting the results. And then Kubas is just Kubas. I mean, that's one of those where, again, I think it's every every game he plays, he he gets closer to being potentially the best value signing in Whitecaps history. I think he's already reached there after they won the title, the second champion Canadian championship. But every game he plays, he gets closer and closer to making it a no-brainer and, he just shows like he's just his value goes so much beyond anything you can do in the numbers or, or I mean, the, the numbers as well, back him up, just his pressures, his tackles, his regains, et cetera. But you can see that he just dominates a game. And yeah, those two are, they do need to, some, some praise. And I'm really going to be fascinating now. Like we talk about playoffs, the Whitecaps should make the playoffs unless something catastrophic goes wrong. I think it's going to be fascinating because, this is probably the best batch of individual players that the Whitecaps have had because we've just talked about those two. Ahmed is something, another one. Like, my goodness, like that discussion we had about him heading into the Gold Cup, how good does that look now? Uh, about his trajectory, you add in um, Vite, how well he's played. Uh, you add in Gressel. Like, might that be the best batch of individual players the Whitecaps have ever had? Yes, and I think that's key because we talk about playoffs individual players win games in the playoffs, right? And how many times have the Whitecaps just lacked an individual stepped up, right? Like the nil-nil game against Seattle or these games against Portland where it was like very tightly contested. It is nice to look at this roster, but ooh, okay, there are some difference makers that can step up. And we've seen it across the last few weeks even, right? Like there's been also Vite stepped up in that stretch in, in May and June where, you know, Gald is still finding his feet. Vite scored that, that bunch of goals. That helped the Whitecaps also get wins. And White has also stepped up at times throughout this year. And I think it is nice to look that across that front six, there are difference makers at each position. And Kubas and Gold have certainly led the way. And Gold, I mean, yeah, he's showing why he's the captain. He's showing why he could be an MVP. And I'm curious if he keeps this up. I'm I'm genuinely curious if he could make it into that discussion because it does feel like for once people are paying attention. Yeah, he didn't get the all-star nod, 
But also we have to remember like part of that was Wayne Rooney selected half of them. And, you know, obviously maybe Wayne Rooney isn't a big white caps watcher. Fair enough. Like the one time he came here, he cussed out a referee and probably didn't have the greatest of times. So maybe he doesn't like, uh, or even actually Alfonso Davies also scored that world on him that one time in 2018. So maybe Rooney just doesn't have fond memories of Vancouver, but Given the fact that, you know, Betcher and Gald have each won player of the, of the match awards. Gald has been in the team of the week a bunch this year. People are paying-ish attention to him. So I do wonder if he could make it into the, the discussion if he keeps this up. No, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, if he keeps this pace for the rest of the season, I think, you know, he's def- definitely going to be in the mix, right? Like, that's that'll be that'll be too inevitable to, to avoid, right? So, uh yeah, yeah, I mean, because of the team of the week stuff, uh, he is starting to gain a little bit of traction. And even, you know, hey, with with the real Messi coming to MLS, maybe, uh, you know, the Scottish Messi gets a little bit of attention as well. So uh, sorry, Ryan, I know you don't like that, but just had to had to throw it in there. All right. Um, in terms of I mean, we talked about the good. Uh, we've already alluded to it, so I won't spend too much time, but we we'll talk a little bit about the, the bad or the iffy. And yeah, for me, not a great week for Yoi Takaoka. Is you know, no no howlers, no like straight cut individual errors, but certainly the goal against Austin was dicey. Uh, the second goal against the Galaxy, it's from a very tight angle, and you just you just wonder if he could have done better. And uh, yeah, it's just it feels like Takaoka, you know. During that clean sheet streak, everything was just going swimmingly. It was like, ah, oh, this is just a fantastic signing, absolute dream scenario, and uh, still a very good move for the club. I think they're still 100% happy with him as their starting keeper. It's just uh, a bit of a dip in form, which, uh, you know, first season in MLS, I think these these kind of things do happen. No, it's it's something where... That's why I'm not too concerned about Takaoka, but it is just, it's, it's something to monitor. Um, Cause again, yeah, I, it feels like, again, it feels like for the white caps, this stretch of the, uh, this, this next month is going to be absolutely vital. And I say it because this, this is a time you're going to be training a bit more. You're going to have these leagues cup games experiment. They need to figure something out with the back line. Uh, and it's I'm not saying that the back line again, I think, Overall, as we saw, this backline isn't as bad as they were in that early stretch in the season where we're sitting here throwing things at the wall and hoping they'd stick. But they're maybe not as good as that stretch where they kept all those clean sheets. But still, I think there feels like there's still a bit of juice on that lemon, so to speak, right? Like there's still something to squeeze. And I think that's going to be key because, like we mentioned, the defense. That defense feels like it's the difference between them finishing top four and them slipping out maybe like the maybe the expectations on... for yohi are just too high right it's like hey bud just bail us out every match okay cool thanks yeah great job well that's why i'm saying for takaoka because it almost feels unfair to completely rip on him because yeah maybe he struggled on a few he also can like there's a save he made against the galaxy when they were up one nil and it was before the red card huge save just that he came out and it was just a commanding save and there's a save against uh, each team each game this week there's at least one five alarm takoka save if i'm not mistaken and like again i think it's like that discussion we had after the skc game where it's just sometimes it feels like the defense in front of him is more the ones also not doing him favors right like they're just they're backing on to him a bit too much they're asking him to be a bit more you know old school punching in the box where it's just like 
the defense in front of them it, it, again it's it feels like for they're, they're gonna have to figure something out and i think what they'll have to do over this next month is just figure out a combination that suits takaoka so i think what's clear and also to the forwards so i think what's clear is if you look at the roster makeup of this team it's if you're if you're saying you know you put it you say that we'll put them in the four three two one because that's kind of been their default if you're rating it from strengths they have two very good number 10s. That's their position of strength. They have a very good number six. It's another position of strength. They have a very good goalkeeper. I'd say Taco is a very good goalkeeper. Um, their striker position, it's a, it's a mixed bag, right? Depends on the day. Um, the, the two number eight positions are also very set in that regard. That What does that mean? It's kind of been the defense is that you're looking on paper. That's kind of the weak link, so to say, on paper, right? Um, I was just going to add add to this, the way you laid that out. If you ask like a Whitecaps supporter in 2014, 2015, and you describe that roster to them and you're like, we have two number 10s, great box to box midfielders, a great number six, a great goalkeeper. They're going like, what, what the heck is this team? This is like the, the inverse, you know, the Whitecaps, I feel like of early MLS days, it was good center backs streaky good strikers and not very much else and now they're kind of the complete opposite of that which is very interesting yes and i you you agree with my assessor right it's not anything unfair absolutely this this whitecaps team has been at their best this season when gressel ahmed shop whoever you know bossing things in the midfield cubas cleaning up and, you know, taking care of the other team's best players, Gold and Vite providing play and transition. And then, you know, Brian White finding the net when he finds the net and just kind of hoping that the defense holds things together. Basically. I, I can't yeah, think of, so- I can't think of a moment, even over that shutout streak. It was never like, Oh, just look at how great this team's defending. is. It was just, they kind of found a way to manage matches and, keep keep the other team off the score sheet but it never looked like a dominant defensive performance to me yeah and i think all of that to say is that in mls in particular it's a salary cap league you have to play to your strength so what i'm saying is now over the next month you know what your team is and i think what's fascinating about this league's cup break is you're kind of at a time like yeah you know what your team is so this is a month to improve in training this is a month to address any transfer hiccup like if you know if they can bring in a fullback or a center back great if not so be it but now all over, over this next month what i want to see is find a way to both maximize your strengths and limit your weaknesses and it feels like especially as of late what we've seen is that you know with how the defense is kind of morphed in front of takoka they're kind of hurting takoka which is hurting a potential strength and then also the weakness itself has kind of cropped up. So now I'm fascinated to see what they do over the next month because, for example, this back three with Martins, Blackman, and Veselinovic, yeah, it seemed to have given them a bit more on the ball. They've scored a bunch of goals over the last while, right? Like, for the most part, this has probably been their best offensive stretch, but it's hurting them in goal. And now it's one, you know, and it's wondering, is it worth I the- would think very unlikely to continue. I would handicap it at like 15 20 percent that they continue with this defensive setup from you know mid-august onwards and i think we'll maybe see some experiments during leagues cup to try to figure it out well that's it and that's basically now what i want to see is okay if you think the back three is the way to go experiment with combinations try 
Rankle, Blackman, Laborda. Try Laborda in the middle with, you know, Blackman and Rankle on the side. Look in the uh, the second team. Try out Mateo Campagna there. Yes, this is a bit of an extreme take, but the Whitecaps, too, has played a back three pretty much exclusively since last year. Maybe maybe a guy like Campagna is used to playing in the back three. Heck, you know, I mean, this is a chance to certainly build up his confidence again. Maybe Karifa Yao is some, someone who could be potentially slot in in the back three and, and give you a bit of help. You know, yes, it's a bit extreme, but hey, just, you're looking at options that, that could, could help. So I, that's kind of what I want to see over this this next month is experiment with that in training, find something because it, 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 it's at a point where, you know, the defense, if it's if the, the if the defense is the weak link of the team, that's fine. Like again, that's not an issue, but it's it, you don't want it to be hurting other areas of the team, right? You want it to be okay. Sometimes their defense will let in some, will struggle, et cetera. That's fine, but if it's hurting the abilities team. Uh, to get the most out of other pieces, that's kind of where you have to re- reevaluate. So I'm curious to see over the next month. That's basically what I want to see now over League's Cup is, yeah, experiment. Like, for all we know, he might, if the solution is Campania Real, if the solution's Ranko, Blackman, and Laborda, if the solution, just if it's them, so be it. But I just want to see some experimentation because, uh, yeah, it feels like the the back line, you, you want to you get the most of the, the entire roster. Something I'll just add to round out the defensive discussion a little bit is they did a better job of this against Austin and then against the Galaxy. But against Sporting KC and Seattle, they just got absolutely like caved in in terms of the possession battle. They held none of the ball. And that's just such a tough way to live defensively when you when you probably don't really fancy your back line anyways. And then you're letting the other team spend so much time on the ball. That's just, it's not sustainable. And you heard the Whitecaps midweek talk a lot about giving themselves those, like particularly against Austin, they gave themselves those moments of like a little bit slower, more patient buildup in possession, just to sort of control the tempo, nurse themselves into the match a little bit and try to make life a little bit easier. And I don't feel like they got all the way there. Like, you know, being up a man against the galaxy in the second half, that would have been a great moment to, to be patient on the ball. And yet they really conceded a lot of the ball and, and let Brugman and Pouge have their way at times. So I think that's something they'll be looking at too, right? Like defending isn't just how the back four and the goalkeeper play. It's what you do in possession as well. So I, I think that's something they're already looking at and I, I kind of get the sense from Danny's comments, things I heard from Ryan Gold, that that's something they're going to be focusing on, getting back to a possession-based style team. Uh, they kind of got away from that when they they went for the crazy game plan against LAFC, and then they got lost a little bit in this defensive counterattacking style. And I think they're having to rediscover possession football, especially, again, you're getting some of your key midfielders back, which makes living that way on the ball a lot easier than it's been for the last couple of weeks. So I think that'll help as well. Yeah. And that's a good point for the center backs discussion. Maybe in that case, just prioritize looking at guys who could help you hold the ball better and offer you a little more speed and just, you know, try to defend by attacking. That could also be what the white caps need, right? Like um, that's Blackman. We know can do that. Veselinovic. So it's like, okay, find a third beside them who can, live on the ball a bit more and, 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 and be that option. So it'll be interesting to, 
to see how it is. Maybe we can ask Caleb actually if there's any center backs who kind of fit that profile on the the second team that he's fine. I just threw Campagna out there, but uh, I don't know because he's already on a first team deal. But he, he I mean, he, the shake of the head there was quite ominous. So no, maybe, no, maybe spo- no spoilers. But I mean, I, I don't think defending has been the second team's strength this season, even at the next pro level. So. so yeah, so it's, it's genetic is what you're saying. Or, in the orga- organizationally, it's not an area of strength, really. So uh, it's something they, they certainly should look at and try to find solutions. And uh, we were talking about Karifa Yao before this show. So maybe we'll we'll dive into some of that, with Caleb. But Alex, one of the things you brought up to me pre-show that you were kind of thinking about was uh, the game management, the way that, I mean, particularly the LA Galaxy match is maybe a bit of a shining example where Things took a bit of a turn for the worse, a turn for the sketchy as the match went into the late stages. So I guess your thoughts just on the way they they tried to close out. Obviously, Seattle is an example as well, where they sort of they lost their heads late on and, and let a result that uh, you know should have been at least a point slip away in, in kind of disappointing fashion. Yeah, it's a big theme and it's something that was a, it was a big talking point after the Galaxy game and you know, Michael D'Agostini in the interim role. He, he was a very fun, by the way, he's very fun to talk to after the game. So maybe if Vanny's ever feeling like he doesn't want to do media availability, which I don't know, that doesn't seem like Vanny. Vanny loves talking uh, to, to just, he loves talking in general. So maybe it's something where uh, he won't relinquish those duties anytime soon, but certainly if D'Agostini wants to ever share his thoughts on a game, he's, he was fascinating to to listen to. And I think one thing he thought he brought up that was so refreshing like an interesting to say uh you know this is just more from his from his perspective i'm just saying this more because this is you know nothing to do with vanny and more just to do how a lot of times in terms in general they come in and they're very like safe with their comments or anyone like an interim coach or someone who's replacing they're like oh yeah you know they don't want to rock the boat a little but i just found it fascinating that d'agostini for example was asked like your team struggled in the second half and he was like, yeah, we were too individualistic. And it was like, whoa, like, that's a strong word. But it was like, okay, that was like, and then like, he, he was kind of asked to expand on it. He's like, yeah, like, some of our guys were playing too selfish. We were playing too selfish. Like, we we got away from our game plan. And it was like, oh, okay. Like, it was like, he 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 laid it out very clearly and explained. I just say that's refreshing because most interns would have been like, yeah, we strayed from the game plan that's about it. Right. And like the fact that he kind of elaborated and went into it. And I think that was just fascinating because he kind of ended up highlighting something that is a bit of a concern in the sense that it feels like at times this year, the white caps have struggled to manage games that should be manageable, right? Like how many times have there been nil nil games where there's nothing happening and they allow a cheap goal or how many times have they, you know, especially lately they grab a one or two goal lead and they kind of just let it evaporate away. And it is something where it, it has cost them valuable points. I mean, you, I'm thinking just over the last few games, like Seattle is a prime example. That's a game you should have won. You're up two, you're, you're up a goal against your rivals at home. That should be a game you're winning every day of the week, right? And they let that one slip. Even the Galaxy game, they're up a man. Like it's something where you're worried. Like if Galaxy were at full strength, could they have genuinely gotten a point out of the game? You wonder uh, because of that. And even like across the board, like LAFC, they maybe made it a bit hairier than it needed to be because they were cruising. Cincinnati, that game was nil-nil all the way through. They just, they allowed a goal out of nothing to Acosta. And yeah, you can say that's Acosta being Acosta, 
but that's still like something or even SKC, like you're at home, you just allow a goal out of nothing and you kind of just ruin the flow of the game. So it is something where game management in general, I think it's, it's twofold. I think I agree with D'Agostini that maybe sometimes when the, when they go up a goal or two, they, they almost get a bit too excited and it's almost like, okay, we got like, especially after they score like a well-taken goal. Like I think this um, LA galaxy game was a great example because they scored two proper goals and it looked like they had so many more and it just kind of almost went from like let's go from what's working to like let's start shooting from everywhere and start overpassing the ball and like etc and then the other one that i see a bit is defensively just these goals out of nothing right because if you're a good team goals happen like you, you you can allow goals but you have to make teams work for it and it's just there's been a few goals over the last few weeks we talked defensively where the momentum's just nowhere near and you're you're the white it's all white caps and they allow a goal and that's frustrating because sometimes, look, other teams are going to come and take the game new and they'll score. That's the beauty of this game. But anytime you're allowing goals out of nothing, it will always hurt you in the end. And it feels like there's been a few that have that have hurt the Whitecaps more than they've helped. You know, what's really interesting to me about the whole like tone of this conversation we've been having today is I think the difference between you've been to these last three matches live. I've been watching them delayed on TV. And so obviously what I'm taking away and what you're taking away is quite different in the sense that, I don't know, I looked at these three results, like especially Austin and Galaxy, and I'm kind of like, yeah, well, they, you know, did what they needed to do at the end of the day, got the job done. There were some warts, but not a big deal. But I, I understand too how like in the stadium, in the second half against the Galaxy, those late moments against Austin, dropping points dropping three points against seattle how the feeling in that building in the closing stages would have been palpable right like you would have been able to feel that after the whitecaps have all the momentum and then they're letting it slip from their grasp and that's just ultimately something that me sitting on my couch watching it you know the next morning i don't feel that the same way so it's 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 interesting how how we're coming away normally i think i'd be maybe the more the more negative nitpicky one, you're usually on the optimistic side, but we seem to be sort of uh, counterbalancing each other the other way on this one. So yeah, I mean, does that does that make sense to you that maybe that's kind of part of what you're feeling is just being at the stadium and seeing a team that's that's in control at times, and then you just have that feeling that now they're they're letting it slip through their fingers as the match goes on. Yeah, I think that that's it. I think. The fact that they started so well across the three games, but then let it slip just because again, like it's at home. Like it feels like you got to make it easier for yourself when you dominate. Because sometimes if you start slow and then you get a w- late win, it happens. But it's almost like more frustrating because when you start so well, like the Galaxy game, three 0 that should be done and dusted. Like that should be literally as they did. You should be taking off Kubas at halftime. Any guy who's like dealing with anything that's less than a hundred percent you take them off you laugh your way to the finish line you pass them to death you're up a player and it's just it, it had no business being as close as it did in the end or even austin right you get your late lead and it's just like it's one of those where it should just be done and dusted there shouldn't even be a chance to get into it even seattle that's what should have happened and that didn't end up being the case so i think it's one of those where especially where they started as well and i think what's fascinating too is that that sentiment's kind of echoed by the team. Like, for example, after the Galaxy win, and I think this was a point that was made, and I think it's kind of interesting, 2021 Whitecaps or even 2022 Whitecaps, 
they would have been ecstatic after the Galaxy game. Like it would have been, we got to win, beat the Galaxy, three points, Yahoo, life is good. And like all the players, like Ryan Raposo came, he looked like he was, he was angry. Ryan Gold was even like a bit, you know, pissed. Even Mike D'Agostini, uh, you know, he was like not, not the happiest camper either. And I think maybe that's also just like internally and even externally, the expectations are growing around this group where, you know, certain moments aren't just enough and, and you want to see them kind of show a bit more of that killer instinct and show a bit more of that ruthlessness and lose some of that naivety in key moments. And I think that's, that's where, it, especially in three home games like this for a team as good as the Whitecaps, especially the thing is with the Whitecaps, we have to have higher expectations of these home games purely because we don't know what they're capable of on the road. If anything, they drop at home is going to come back and bite them. So if they're being like, if, if they're not going to be completely dominant and ruthless at home, it's kind of like where else. So I do think that is a, a playing a bit part of it. And also I think it shows just how much over the last four months, I think the expectations around the team are, sh- are slowly shifting. And uh, even internally, you can feel it amongst the group. And that's a good thing. Cause I think they need that, that, that sort of mentality and uh, hopefully it can, it can help them in the end. Okay, well, just to kind of wrap up these last three matches, there are just uh, a couple more individual performances I wanted to point to quickly. Levante Johnson, formally confirmed as a first-teamer and getting a couple of starts. Uh, Vanny being Vanny, playing another college number 10 at wingback. It's a tried-and-true tradition. Um, and Johnson overall really held his own, I thought. Had some, some nice moments on the ball defensively maybe questions at times but it's not his natural position so uh, i think that's perfectly excusable excited to see more of him in uh in the latter stages of the season i wonder how many minutes simon betcher gets like uh it might be a bit of a flavor of the day thing where i could honestly see johnson getting more minutes than betcher um in these last 11 12 matches wherever it is left in mls play and then sergio cordova we got to talk about just a little bit uh, the man has found the back of the net twice, uh, a great goal, great patience displayed, a great run uh, to, to find the, uh, the ultimately the winning goal against Austin. And then the very next match against the Galaxy, it ended up being right at the death and, and probably not mattering at all. But uh, him and Daber Caicedo combining really well and, uh, and yeah, Daber creating the chance and then Sergio finishing it off. So uh, big ups to Cordova for for finding the score sheet. It's nice. It just it feels like he's running around a little bit lighter at the moment. And ultimately, if Whitecaps can get five six goals out of him near the end of the season here, it it could be a really big boost. Especially Alex, if, as we talked about, like if they can't sort out sort out those defensive deficiencies, they're going to need to outscore those problems. And having Sergio Cordova coming off the bench or in the odd start, finding the back of the net would, would certainly be helpful. So uh, two attacking players there that had uh, a reasonably nice week, and uh, that's always good to see. Yeah, I mean, Johnson just continues to be impressive because he just his, his attention to detail is impressive, I think. Um, I just think on the ball, like his willingness to take guys on, fearlessness, just he always delivers relatively good service as well right like when he when he is whipping in crosses or shooting you're not sitting here thinking like oh you should have done this you should have done that 
defensively you can tell positioning that new role maybe hasn't isn't is going to take some growing into but also i just loved his willingness in the tackle so overall i think it was a a good week for johnson so shout out to that and then as for for cordova i think um you can just tell he needed that confidence and i think what i loved is uh the confident finish he had against Austin to be so calm in a moment where, yeah, you've struggled to score. Maybe you overthink it, but he knew what he wanted to do. He executed it and he was ruthless. And that's what you want to see from him. And again, ditto with the goal against uh, LA galaxy. Like, yeah, it was a rebound, but just, I loved how on that goal he saw as soon as as Caicedo shot, he stayed on side was the first to react, finish first touch it was a confident striker play. And if he can start doing a lot of those little things, those will, will add up to him and he'll start putting the goal, the ball in the net with more regularity. So for me with Cordova was as much the goals as it was just the execution and the, the calmness he showed in those moments. And long may it continue. But ultimately, I think that's about all we have in the notebook for uh, the Whitecaps. It was quite the... Uh, quite the quite the dive in really uh, it's such a such a strange week such a strange season um but ultimately these white caps continue to roll on continue to play fun soccer can you ask for more maybe a little more but also yeah you, you can't also ask much more than that because you know you blink and next you know it was it's it's four two three one it's 35 percent possession and all of a sudden it's 2014 and 2015 all over again and i will certainly take now versus those days if i had to pick but uh We're going to take a bit of a quick break and we'll be right back. All right, we're back and uh, we're joined by a special guest. As uh, hinted off the top, Caleb Wilkins joining us here today. I mean, Caleb, first of all, it's just got to start. I mean, how are you doing? And I mean, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. We're always talking about you. It always feels like you, yeah. uh, you've been here with us. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing great. Um, uh, Long time listener, first time guest. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm back in BC right now and uh, visiting some family. And uh, I uh, jumped off to Quebec for a bit. So I've been... Uh, been uh getting around and uh i'm excited to be here i'll try not to uh fanboy too much uh but uh yeah i know it's a pleasure to have you here i mean we won't be diving too much into the new zealand premier leagues i know you've been uh <laughs> keeping a close eye on the going on uh, as of that circuit there i mean maybe you can give us a stefan correct karajanovic update and you know how alan Koch and the, and the lads are doing over there but no certainly it's good to have you on yeah, great. Well, let's. Uh, I think we're gonna jump into some uh, w- WFC too. If uh, exactly, if yeah. I mean, y- you are certainly at the third sub, formerly eighty six forever. Are been on Whitecaps FC two, either development squad, whatever it's been. Uh, you've been the the expert on that front, and uh, something that you've done a lot in terms of articles is made some some tier lists, kind of given us a sense of where everyone is sitting within that development team. And so that's what we're going to start out with a little bit here is kind of that ranking, trying yes. to get a sense of, all right, like are these guys barely holding on at that second team level or are they 
Ali Ahmed levels of ready to make a jump to the first team, right? We can kind of, there's, there's limited sample size. In some cases, it's, it's a bit of a mess, but uh, Caleb, no one better than you to help guide us uh, through the mire a little bit and try to, try to make sense of what's going on down at the second team. Yeah, well, as you said, I, before we uh, got on here today, I uh, sort of put all the players who have played significant minutes for the second team into, into I guess you could call them tiers or groups. Um, some of these will probably require more discussion than others, but um, let's just jump right into it. Uh, the first uh, tier I've got is a classic, dominating the children's karate class. Uh, these are guys who are, uh, you know, uh, putting up some really like gaudy numbers, um, but they're also much older than the average age of the league. The average age in MLS Next Pro is, I believe, 21. Uh, so you know, if you're older than that, you really ought to be dominating. Uh, and these guys are, which is fine. So the first one, obviously, I think everyone knows about, but Levante Johnson, uh, been one of the best players in the league, uh, made the jump now to the first team pretty much full time, uh, looking pretty strong. Uh, he's a bit of a, a late bloomer. He's 24. So uh, a little older maybe than people realize. So I don't necessarily see him as like a star in MLS but I think he'll be usable domestic depth which is always very welcome and then uh, the other player in that tier is uh, JC Ngondo who has slowly but surely been making his way into the first team um, I've really liked what I've seen from him in his uh, cameos um, and I'm hopeful maybe those cameos will start getting a little longer soon so uh, yeah, just to to kick it off on those two, uh, I know you've been you've been advocating Caleb for JC Fever in, in your <laughs> some of your report cards slash post match pieces. I watched the the WFC two match this past weekend, and they had Gondo in the first half playing as a fullback, which was you know just a just another wrinkle in like Vanny's weird habit of making number 10s fullback slash wingbacks he seems obsessed with this idea for some reason uh but then you kind of saw him come alive in the second half and I think some of that uh I mean is it fair to say like what's what's JC's top strength is it like transitional play is it carrying the yeah. ball forward what like well, where, do, where where does he bring the most value that maybe projects to be useful at the mls level yeah well he's a really strong uh dribbler um really um uh really strong ball carrier i think you've seen that in his cameos where he's kind of just picked the ball up in deeper areas and really like driven it forward uh so you can kind of see how someone with that skill set they might be curious to see what he can do as a wing back um you know, able to take players on 1v1 in those wide areas. Um, he's also played, like, as a false nine a couple times, and um, uh, usually WFC2 plays sort of a 4-2-3-1, uh, so he's been in the number 10, or he's been as a number 8 in the 4-3-3, so they've tried him in quite a lot of spots. Um, but definitely, like, the ball carrying, um, the uh, physicality, really, like, he's very quick. Um, he's got uh, quite a low center of gravity, uh, which is something that they don't necessarily have a ton of in the first team. And also, I mean, you know, his technical skills are are quite strong. There was a very nice, uh, like, scoop pass in one of those cameos where he almost dinked the ball over the whole other team. So, yeah. And also, I mean, he's on a first-team contract, uh, and he's taking up one of those all-valuable international slots. 
So, you know, he's 23. Uh, so like not a super young prospect, but maybe still a little room to grow. And I'd, I'd say the time to see if he can do something for the first team is now because he's been extremely strong uh, at next pro level and uh, he's not getting any younger. So now is, now is the moment for JC Fever. <laughs> um, kind of the only other one I'd have for, for some of the, the, the adults in the karate class question is because we've seen a few of them now. Uh, with the white cap since last year, some of them have hit, some of them haven't hit. I think there's certainly, I think, some value in you know finding the right guys, right? Because I mean, there are guys, and you know, we've seen across MLS guys who are in that mid 20s range can be late bloomers. Like Lucas McNaughton is a great example. We're at 22, he's playing in University of Toronto, and now he's a serviceable defender with Nashville. So I don't think you you should completely overlook those sorts of guys, but. Say if the Whitecaps are looking for some of these projects, have there been anything you've noticed that's kind of been a consistent with guys like Johnson or Ngando or maybe some of the guys that stood out last year, like Ali Ahmed, who are maybe a bit older than what you'd consider a you know 18 teenager prospect that the Whitecaps should be looking at when they're making these punts out of the CPL or college or elsewhere? Yeah, well, I think um, uh, when it comes to like uh, strategy for... Um, uh, recruiting that sort of player i think you want to be looking at places where it's more common for players to start their professional careers later like you know for like i mean you go back to levante johnson i mean he was not even playing ncaa when he started his uh college career he had to go through the junior college system first i was and gonna say was, wasn't he something like it was like five colleges in his five years of eligibility i think Yes, I think he, which is just, that's a, that's a tough way to live, man. Like a different, yeah. different town, different state, different team every year. I, I can't imagine that. And I think I read that uh, when Charlotte FC entered the league, they, their coach called him and said he was going to pick him with the first overall pick, but because of some arcane MLS rule, he was like prevented from doing it because he was not officially a, a senior yet because of those junior college years oh. um I, yeah so basically I, I can confirm that one because i spoke with levante for one sock we asked him about that actually and he said basically they it was him he was going to be drafted first overall but because he wasn't a senior they needed to sign him to a generation adidas contract and somehow he didn't get the generation adidas tag and then he they, they weren't able to to draft him because of that. So he could have been a first overall pick with Charlotte. Yes. But um, getting back to my point, I, I think, yeah, in, in North America, um, not just in, um, not just like up in Canada and the States, but I think also in countries like uh, Panama or even like in the Caribbean, like it's not so uncommon that you could find value with a guy who's already in his 20s and doesn't have a ton of pro experience yet. Um, where I think maybe uh, WFC2 has fallen flat recruiting these guys both um, in its previous iteration when it was a USL team and now that it's an MLS Next Pro has been when they've gone to uh, like Europe or like large countries in terms of like their their power as a soccer nation. Um, I don't know if you guys remember Sem DeWitt, but um, you know, um, wow. not a lot of these guys really panned out. Um, uh, obviously there's less of them because, you know, you only have so many international slots, but even still like the hit rate on these guys was not good. And I think that's because 
you know, in Europe, like, obviously we see some late bloomers who move to North America, they go to the NCAA, uh, they carve out a pro career that way. Julian Gressel's an example of that. Um, but for the most part, um, scouting in Europe is very, um, very efficient. And uh, so, you know, if you're taking a guy out of the reserves of an Eredivisie or, or Bundesliga or, or, or what have you, you know, you can be sure that everyone in that country knows about him. And if they're not jumping on him, then what are the odds really that he's going to become an MLS player? It's, I'm not saying it's impossible, but I, I think that sort of recruitment path is less likely to yield results when it comes to um, older older players joining uh, next pro so in that case then is it fair to say with that that older late bloomer archetype that you're maybe better off going for a more obscure country league setup where maybe this is a guy who just doesn't have the resources yet or has been been overlooked because he's you know not being widely scouted that that's maybe a better path than like a a big country that's got a wide development network. And, you know, it's just like, there's, there's enough data at this point that even if there are the gems in there that are going to hit there, you have to pick it out of a complete haystack. Right. Whereas if you go to the, the small country, you can, you take a shot on one guy that had certain, certain real values that you, you think you can maybe, you know, get something out of. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. I think, um, you know, um, well, an interesting example, actually, of, of that sort of thing is a guy on in Chicago's system called Omari Glasgow, who is Guyanese, um, and they, they just plucked him out of the Guyanese League, and he's like this Guyanese wonder kid. Um, but, you know, that's that's a guy who, obviously, if he was in Europe, would be, you know, he'd be locked up by some uh, giant academy. Um, but I, I think, yeah, I think that's a more more fruitful ground. Obviously, he's fairly young, but there's also, you know, um there's there's older players and maybe not in Guyana but you know smaller smaller countries that we wouldn't necessarily think of as as football powers who do you know don't get the chance to to move abroad necessarily yeah I mean certainly yeah I think that's a good point especially the NCAA guys right because it's just such a convoluted system with how these players end up uh end up kind of in that NCAA system. I mean, Levante Johnson's a great example. You can look at the draft. Like, there's there's value in the end. That's, that's the frustrating thing about the super draft. I sit here and joke every how it's useless, but there is value to to be mined uh, from it if you if you look in the the right corners, that's for sure. But uh, I guess on that note, what's the the next tier on the list for us to, uh, to dive into? Okay, so the next year I've dubbed On the Right Track, which is players who... Um, are probably not in line for MLS minutes this year, but are relatively young and uh, performing quite well. They just maybe need to tidy up a thing or two in their game. And next year, or perhaps the year after, we'll, we'll likely start seeing them pop up. Uh, so in this tier, I have Cameron Habibula, Antoine Coupland, uh, Matteo Campania, Elege Ba, Max Anker, and Mikhail Gersamenikov, I'm going to go with for the pronunciation. <laughs> so uh, which of those guys would you like to dive into first? Well, I think that um, maybe Mihail Gersamenikov is like the, that's that's where the most fascination is, I feel like, right? Because yes. people know Coupland, people know Habibula, 
Uh, I think those are, if you asked like a, a relatively serious white caps fan, but someone who probably doesn't spend a lot of time with the second team, they're going to go, Oh yeah. Coupland, happy Bula. And, and that would be the extent of their knowledge. But um, I, I know that, you know, you, you've got a lot of faith in, yes. in this young kid. So uh, yeah. Uh, what's, what's the, what's the, what's the oh, sales man. pitch in terms of is, is he a Coupland happy Bula type of talent? Is this, is there bigger potential here? What are, what are we looking at? Uh, I think the potential for uh, Grisomenkov is uh, pretty high. Uh, and, and a lot of that is to do with how young he is. Um, MLS Next Pro is a very young league. Um, but uh, the pro component of it is still very much a thing. And it's not uncommon to see guys coming out of the Whitecaps U19s, uh, some of those guys who have come from playing like age group football in Europe uh, to come in and, and struggle a bit with the pace of the play. Uh, but Gersomenkov, uh, as you know, I, I've heard you discuss on the show, um, he jumped over the U19 team completely. He went straight from the U17s into MLS Next Pro. And, you know, I'm not going to say he's like, um, you know, the best player uh, in the league or anything, but he's good. Um, he's able to handle the pace of the play. He's a very strong uh, 1v1 defender. He uh, has shown a little bit more attacking flair lately. Uh, scored his first professional goal not too long ago. Um, still some kinks to iron out, definitely. I mean, there's a couple moments where, like, uh, I think maybe, like, positionally off the ball, he gets into trouble sometimes. Uh, but just the fact that he is, like, I'd say a solidly above-average player at, I think he's 17, you know, playing against men, young men, but men nonetheless, uh, is a really good sign for his long-term potential. Well, what I like as well about Dermis Menkov is that, I mean, again, it's position of need, right? That's the one that the thing that kind of st- stands out is when you're looking at these guys in MLS Next Pro, it's that first team need. And I think that's kind of the, something that's almost, you kind of feel for Kuplin and Habibula, right? Because it's like, all right, who are you going up against at the first team level? It's, oh yeah, Ryan Gold, Pedro Vite, <laughs> you know, maybe even Julian Gressel slots into those positions, JC and Gando. Whereas you're looking at, you know, Gersmenkov and you're like, okay, you're going up against Luis Martins and I guess Ryan Raposo is considered a left back. So it's like the the position of need is very different. And that's kind of where I'm leading with my next player. I'm skipping over Kuplin and Habibul. I mean, we can talk about the maybe Mateo Campagna because I think he's such a fascinating one in the sense that he's been around for so long, yet we know so little. Like he, he signed at 16. He went on loan to York in 2020. Mark DeSantos called him the Alessandro Nesta. Like, you know, we, we've been through so many iterations of Matteo Campagna. This first team needs center backs. That's no doubt. What does he kind of need to, to you know, what's 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 the scoop on, on Campagna? What kind of needs to happen for him to potentially step up and help fill that void? Yeah, uh, well, I think we'll be waiting still another year or two before we see uh, Campagna as any kind of regular first team contributor, um, you know, as was the case when the Whitecaps first signed him, he's very good on the ball, uh, very much a ball playing center back. But um, you know he's quite like uh, small, not necessarily the most uh, uh, truculent or, or, or muscular center back, um, and, and you know occasionally uh, you know gets um, you know found out a little bit on that front. Uh, but I, I think. 
the trend for him is in he's he's been doing a little better on that. The trend is in a positive direction. Uh, it's just um, you know it probably will take a little more uh, development uh, either at MLS Next Pro, maybe another loan uh, to CPL perhaps for him uh, before we're seeing him uh, playing in the Whitecaps senior team on a week in week out basis. Well, speaking of position and need, the uh, we're kind of skipping over Coupon and Happy Bull here, so maybe we'll talk about them briefly at the end. But the other guy who has always kind of popped off to me when I've watched him, just in terms of he has the look of like a modern fullback, and that's Elage Ba. So I'm I'm glad to hear you say that he's trending in the right direction because to me it just it seems like he looks and fits the part. I just it seems like he's still very young. I mean, he's not quite as young as. Gerzmenikov, but um, still a young player, 2004 birth date. So, uh, yeah, what have your thoughts been on him? Because, uh, again, a real position in need, and, you know, maybe it's three, four years away, but um, domestic fullbacks, uh, kind of a good spot to have at the MLS level long-term. Uh, yeah, I like Ba quite a lot. Um, he's uh, very much like an attacking fullback, probably, you know, if, you, if you're thinking about the formation the Whitecaps have used in the last couple of games, very much part of the four rather than the three. Um, very, like, dribbly, uh, good in the final third. Uh, it's just... Um, and also, I, I think, um, good, important to say with him is how much he's improved from year to year, which is a big thing for me. Um, in the first year of MLS Next Pro, he was one of those guys, like I said, who sort of came up from the U19s, or I guess it was the U23s then, and got a little bit of a, a bit of a wake up call um, uh, at at the pro level. Uh, but he's improved a lot, I think. Then and now, the thing that he really needs to to sharpen up a little bit is going to be the defensive side of the game. Uh, I don't think he's a liability at the next pro level. Um, but some of his defend, I think I described it in an article once is like when you drop something in the kitchen, you're like trying to fumble it and not drop it. Like, like it, it looks a little scrambly sometimes. And I think, uh, you know, if you were to put him into an MLS game now, uh, that might, that might get, uh, get him exposed a bit, but, uh, you know, very much on the right track. He's young, he is playing well above average, not quite at the MLS next pro star level yet, but, but reasons to be optimistic well, i guess lastly that leads us in i mean unfortunately we'll, we'll skip over max anchor because i think again he's a bright prospect but he's also what eight nineteen as a goalkeeper like you know he's he's going up against hassal and uh and bomer in that regard so still some 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 climbing to do but i mean quickly i guess we'll, we'll dive in kuplin and, and happy bula what to make of them because i mean Every time I've watched Caps too, Kuplin just he's he's one of those guys who steps off the paper, at least so to speak. Like you just you notice him on the field with the way he plays. What to make of him, and also what about Habi Bula? Because I mean, he for him to come back after the low in the Pacific last year, playing time was mixed. He's come into this MLS Next Pro environment. What have you seen from him, and kind of what are the future for both of them, especially given that they're going up against uh, two positions that are very you know a position that very well covered for the White Cap. Well, I think for both these guys, there's a reason that we always group them together. And it's they're, they're the same, but different. Uh, for both of them, it's a matter of uh, tidying things up a little bit in the final third. Uh, they uh, obviously have 
scored a fair amount, both of them, but it's MLS Next Pro. There's very inflated scoring. So everyone with any kind of ability scores a fair amount. Then they haven't quite hit the utterly dominant levels that uh, someone like Levante Johnson has yet. Um, uh, but the ways in which they need to tidy things up are a little different. Uh, so for Coupland, uh, I think uh, I think people have maybe gotten a little overexcited about him just because they've experienced him mostly through Twitter clips, which obviously look extremely, uh, extremely impressive. But he's such a good like highlight. He's, he's like your high school basketball prospect like perfect for the mixtape right Copeland's oh, yeah. the soccer version well his dribble that's it the dribbles the through balls like he's he's something that like if you if you want to sell if you want to put butts in seats you kind of just that box kinda. it looks good yeah yeah absolutely um and uh, you know funnily enough there was one twitter clip the white house posted which i think like sums up the antoine Copeland experience perfectly where he like just absolutely skins two defenders and then puts the ball in the box and it just misses everyone. Uh, so it's just, it, it's really is like, like his dribbling is pretty immense. Um, um, it's just a matter of turning that into shots more consistently. And it's not like he never does it. Like I said, he's, he's producing fairly well. It's just more, um, but yeah, extremely close. Um, I don't know what the Whitecaps' approach to the League's Cup will be, uh, but if they're sort of treating that as like training camp too, since they're already qualified for the uh, CCL anyway, then then Kublin's a guy they might want to take a peek at. Um, and Javi Bula, you know, it, it's the same sort of thing. It's uh, it's like uh, decision making. Uh, his like shot locations are really bad. <laughs> Um, and he tends to hold onto the ball too long. Uh, it's not uncommon uh, for, you know, Javi Bula is like, oh, four shots, and then 0.07 XG, because he's just, like, letting fly from everywhere. And I think it's a very, like, you know, we're going to have to adjust our expectations a little bit with Javi Bula, because he was being talked about as, like, the next Davies, and now it's pretty clear that's not going to happen. Uh, but that doesn't mean that he can't become a very useful uh, MLS player, but you know, he, he, he does play still like a guy who got used to totally dominating his, his age group. And, you know, now he's like trying to dribble. It's improving certainly. And like, I don't want to give the impression that, that I think, you know, oh, he's just like a, uh, uh, all flash, no, no fire. There's definitely some fire there. Um, But it's just a matter of like cleaning up the decision-making a little bit. So then if we're to put your feet to the fire right now, who's closer to consistent MLS minutes? Is it, is it Coupland? I think it's maybe Happy Bula. Uh, he's a mm. little more productive um, and obviously all, already signed to a first team contract. So it's like easier to actually just, just put him in in a pinch. You don't have to do any paperwork to do that. Uh, so slight edge to Happy Bula, but they're, they're both pretty close and have like similar but slightly different problems. All right. Well, we let's, yeah, let's dive in. I'm curious to know which uh, which way the next tier goes. Okay, so so this tier is called question mark question mark question mark. And oh yes. This is a this is a grab bag of guys who maybe haven't been that great, but they're still really young. So uh, I don't know. Maybe they'll figure it out. Uh, guys who have not played a ton of minutes, and uh, guys who have some something weird about them that makes it hard to really pinpoint where they're at. So some of these will require 
more discussion than others. Uh, but in this tier, we have Jay Herdman, Finn Linder, Lowell Wright, Josue Indikala, Christian Greco-Taylor, Joseph Hansen, Lucas Dazovic, Isaac Bomer, and Thomas Hassell. <laughs> That's quite the grab bag. Wow. Yeah. I don't even know where to start with that, because I'm like, do we go from the first teamers and kind of work our way down? Yeah, let's do it. I mean, let's 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 lead off, right? Like, let's yeah. start with the two goalkeepers, Thomas Hassall, Isaac Bomer. What to make of that? Because yeah. I mean Hassall's the weird one because like you know he was dropped in so soon and maybe you know he hasn't been dealt with the proper seasoning and Bomer's kind of been getting the seasoning that Hassall maybe you know should have gotten like Bomer got the CPL loan Bomer got all the MLS next pro minutes last year what to make of those two yeah you know it's funny because um you know my attitude towards Thomas Hassall was like oh you know like it's over and honestly that is still kind of my attitude towards Thomas Hassall but um you know, literally right before we got on here, I was like, well, let's just let's just check the stats. And so I went to, you know, AmericanSoccerAnalysis.com, shout out to them. And I just sorted MLS Next Pro goalkeepers by goals saved above expected. And who's at the top of the list but your friend and mine, Thomas Asal. Um, So obviously, you know, it's a small sample size. He hasn't played a ton of games there, but uh, you can't say that he's not uh, seizing that opportunity with both hands. Um He's keeping them out. Um, uh, so I don't know. I, like, it, it's really hard to see him getting back in to the first team at this point. Uh, but uh, if he keeps playing like that, it's it's hard to say he doesn't deserve another shot. I mean, I, I think it's important just like organizationally for like the, the motivation of these players that if you're a standout player with WFC2, that leads to first team minutes. Um, but but I don't know. We've, we've been through a lot with this guy, and uh, I'm not sure the coaching staff will be willing to go back there. But uh, interesting to watch, I guess. Um, and then, I guess, mm. following on from that, Isaac Bomer, uh, I've got to be honest, I still have no idea if this guy is good or not. <laughs> um, you know, he had those, that brief stint in MLS where he looked awesome, uh, but then that was, like, preceded by um like not being that good in next pro last year uh statistically uh outperformed by ben alexander by a pretty wide margin um and then this year he's been kind of all over the map he's been behind anchor in like the goal save above expected he's been catching up a bit lately though um made a crazy save with his face uh, a couple weeks ago where he was like the ball was like a yard out and he just dived and stopped it with his face um so i don't don't know if anyone can dig that clip up but it's a pretty good one uh yeah i I still have no idea um my impression of bomer has always been like elite elite athleticism and shot stopping ability on like desperation saves but it seems like the rest of the profile as a goalkeeper is just a bit of an unknown. Like it's just, it's massively underdeveloped, which I think, so there's this this crazy upside at times, but then there's not a lot of like foundation to really, you know, kind of secure that that ability. I think that's pretty fair. He's he's gotten caught out with like, uh, you know, making mistake. Like he, there was a goal early in the season where he like literally just like passed it to the other team, you know? Um, so yeah, I don't know. Um, probably... I guess it depends on um, what they have coming through the system. I know um, there's a guy, Cohen Park, uh, who played 
practiced for the U19s and um, uh, have got into a couple of WFC2 games last year during an injury crisis. So I don't know how highly they rate him. Uh, Bomer might get squeezed out. You also have, you know, Ben Alexander still floating around out there. He's in the NCAA, but he's been playing with uh, the Whitecaps uh, League One BC team. Um, Alex will know better than me how he's been getting on there, but his his uh, next pro numbers last season were really strong in the minutes he did play. So he's still floating around. Um, maybe, I, I don't know, there's going to be CPL chat later, but uh, Yesley has been extremely strong this season. So, uh, you know, Bomer might just, might just get squeezed out, but I don't know. It's interesting to see where it goes. And um, it seems for whatever reason, like he's Bomer's favorite amongst first team staff, because right now he's, you know, He's getting that that interest in that some of those backups spots ahead of Thomas Assault, which is really interesting. Alex, yeah, I don't so know if you had, had anything to add on the, any of those guys. Well, that's it, right? It's uh, it feels like he, you know, like we've seen the perception is that it's Bomer's kind of slid ahead of Hassal, but then like you know, you mentioned the numbers kind of indicate, but also Hassal's a bit older. It's just a bit of a strange one, really, right? Like, again, this is why I'm, like, so team. Why isn't Hassal on loan yesterday, tomorrow, four months ago? Like, just send him on loan, give him a fresh start, and maybe he comes back. And that's just the kind of the break everyone needed. Because it just feels like Hassal is one of those guys, right, where he's just – he's around and you almost – you know, he just he, – he's, he's one of those classic, like, just need a reset, right? And, um, yeah, but that, that's, a, that's a bit of a, a whole other situation. But I mean, I guess kind of on that note, you, you dropped a lot of names on us. So I'll go with the yeah. the one I, I remember off the start, but just because I've always been fascinated by him as well, given his age and everything. Jay Herdman, because he's he's someone where, like, given his age and also he's John Herdman's son, you kind of get a bit of fascination. But he kind of, he looks like he can be a player. He's one of those where he's, he, he kind of strikes me as, like, the scout's dream because he's one of those players that looks good uh, when you just watch him, like, just smooth, good touch. He moves well on the ball, but like, well, what to make of Jay Herman? What have you seen from him? Yeah, this is a player who I was really hyped on coming into the season. Um, he unfortunately has picked up a pretty nasty injury from the, the looks of it, but um, you know, it, it's been hard to evaluate how much he's, he's grown because he had that injury. And then at the start of the year, he was away at the under 20 world cup with New Zealand um he's got a very interesting profile where he's like he's a midfielder um but he doesn't really do very much passing it's mostly like arriving in the box um getting those shots off and then like a fair amount of like hustling and, and defending so uh in, in the formation the white Cavs played last year it was sort of difficult to see where he would fit in exactly because he's not quite productive enough to be a number 10 but he's also you know not really well suited to a double pivot uh, but then when they've they've switched this sort of double eight thing, you know, it seemed like like the the pathway was opening up, and then he got this injury. So it's 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 just it's hard to say. Okay, so the other guy that I, I feel like probably embodies this triple question mark category really well and takes up the mantle from Easton Ungaro in terms of like decent CPL striker turned who knows what for WSC two. Lowell Wright, we we saw him against Portland this weekend. Uh, there were a couple of good moments on the ball in the first half, but he's just not a guy that's played much. He's just he's been in the abyss a little bit. So, uh, what if anything can can we expect? Should we expect? Um, yeah, what the heck is going on with Lowell Wright? Basically, 
Yeah, well, I, I've got to admit, I've never been a huge Lowell Wright believer. Uh, so if he does pan out, then I'm owned. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, he's had some problems like with being overweight, I think. Um, and that's led to a lot of injuries. So he just hasn't played very many minutes this season. Um, his minutes that he's had, like, like you said, there's been flashes. Um, he's, he's had some, uh, so he got, you know, getting some dangerous shots off in his first 39 minutes he played before he got injured. And then, you know, he's, he's, he's another Twitter clips, uh, classic, uh, lots of like fancy looking dribbles and like using his frame well to, to make space for himself. Um, yeah, he's still really young. Uh, but also he's had a longer professional career than a lot of these guys because he was breaking through with York when he was like 16, 17. Um, so, you know, hard to say. I mean, I'm sure he'll be back next year. Um, I do kind of like um, how the deal to bring him in was structured. It's sort of like, a, I think at the time, technically it was a record deal for a CPL player, but that was because of the escalators, like the small, small upfront fee. And then like, if he makes it to the national team, then York gets a, a big whack of money uh and i think that's a very good uh like recruitment tool because you know clearly next pro is a uh desirable destination for these cpl guys more so than i was expecting to be honest um so honestly like any even though i'm not that big of a believer in this specific player i think like basically any cpl player under the age of 23 who has even like a whiff of mls potential you should be offering that team that deal uh, and seeing if maybe you can turn them into something. So, you know, uh, but anyway, getting back more focused on right specifically, uh, big frame, obviously some skill hasn't turned that into shots and goals consistently enough, but still young. So we'll see. I guess just, I guess lastly from that, that category, at least of names that stood out, um, just again, another center back. So always going to offer me intrigue Finlander because he's kind of been, he's the forgotten pair of, uh, you know, the, the New Zealand bros, I guess you can call him between him and Jay Herman Finlander. Obviously he went to the U20 world cup, right? I'm not mistaken. Uh, he's su- still super young as well. Um, what have you made of Finlander at center back? Yeah. Another guy is tough to say, cause he hasn't played a ton of minutes. I assume there's been an injury, uh, involved. He's been coming back a bit lately. Um, you know, there's, there's less coverage of, of WFC too. So guys will just disappear for a while and then show up and you're like, Oh, well, what happened there? You'll just never know. Um, he's yeah. Kind of weird. <laughs> um, like, uh, in the first few weeks of the season he was playing a lot and he was like scoring a lot of goals off of set pieces so obviously that's been a bit of a uh, problem in the first team is like there aren't a ton of players who are great in the air so that would be helpful but then also there were you know some moments where where maybe like his 1v1 defending was a little suspect um i think like if you look at his g plus um it, it's like hilariously distributed because he's played so few minutes and he's like one of the best dribbling center backs in the league. Uh, so uh, that's certainly something interesting to look out for. Uh, but yeah, just not enough minutes really to form a, a full opinion of him. Uh, and so he goes in the question mark, question mark, question mark category. Okay. I'm very interested here uh, because there's some players, prominent first team or not first team, prominent WFC two players who are not, 
in the tiers that have come so far. So yes. I get the sense we're going to the to the concerning phase of the tier list. So uh, yeah, what's the next tier? And uh, yeah. and I'm, I'm I'm eagerly anticipating who we're going to be talking about. Uh, so this last tier I've dubbed it's over. Uh, and that does not mean that it is over. For these Vince players. Carter, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's over. That that does not mean that it's over for these players as professionals. That doesn't mean that they couldn't go to CPL or USL or wherever and and have you know full and uh, and good careers. It just means um, it's it's. I find it extremely unlikely that they will ever be first stream contributors for the Whitecaps. And so there's, there's no reason for them to be on an MLS development team. Uh, so uh, in this tier and uh, Sam, you're going to be very sad to hear the first name uh, Vasco Fry, Glory Amanda, oh. Malcolm Johnston, Simone Massey, Karifa Yao and Giovanni Aguilar. Wow. That's wow. Okay. There's a few fun ones we wanted to to dive into there. I mean, Sam, is there, is there one in particular we should we should go into first? Well, I guess we just we have to, right? Like, I, yeah, Vasco Fry. I know Vasco Fry is not going to be an MLS first teamer at this point, but uh, I mean, I guess my question for you, Caleb, then is like, why did, by your estimation, what was the reason for Vasco coming back into the fold? Was there something there that? Um, made the Whitecaps think it was worthwhile to to have another look? Or, you know, is there anything underlying there that might have at least led them to believe it was worth a shot, even if it's not oh. panned out that way? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, pretty much all of these guys, in fact, I'm, I'm comfortable saying all of these guys were, were worth a shot. Um, you know, uh, MLS Next Pro is the, uh, the league of guys who are worth a shot. Um, it's just, you know, not all of those shots are going to pan out. And for a lot of these guys, you know, um it like their age has a lot to do with it um these guys are like older and they're not dominant in the way that someone like Levante Johnson or, or JC Ngondo was well it's funny uh, but, with Vasco it's like they already kind of gave up on him once and then they gave it a second kick at the can I think that's what's particularly interesting about him yeah me. well I think part of it was like there was really no place for him to go because you'll recall that he kind of got he got signed to like the U19s uh, just as the old WFC two was was on the way out, and then yeah, so then I, I think what was he playing in like like VMSL or something, and then yeah, yeah. so you know Apollano University as well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you know, like you know, he, he could probably play for a CPL team. I, I just don't think. I think he's twenty three now, and he's just just not really delivering. <laughs> Also, I guess to answer Sam's question, it's also the just the organization's midfield depth. I mean, we kind of saw it over the last few weeks, right? When Aguilar was missing, how just the second team caved in without him just because they don't have midfield depth. So that's kind of where like with Fry and Aguilar, I'm kind of like they're there purely just because to fill gaps. I mean, personally, if I were them, that's kind of like, well, okay, like you go to the CPL, you can go have a look at a Shang Yan, right? Or at least go look to go take a punt on some of these CPL guys. But that's a whole other story we can look at at the end, maybe if there's any CPL guys other than Ryan Yesley who have caught your attention this year. Um, but speaking of CPL guys, this one's a bit of a fascinating one. I mean, we have to go to Kree for Yao because I think he's been such a strange case in that he was brought in off waivers or was it way was the re-entry draft signed to a first team deal. So we kind of expected to see him there. And then 
they went from him having this great preseason to him them not even trusting him against York or Pacific in this in the in the can champ but then now he's kind of been thrust in to the the next pro level and it's you know as we've seen some of the results and uh he hasn't looked that great so i mean what are your thoughts on Yao? Like, is there one where I'm like, we we're sitting here talking about him before the show. Like, is there any hope? Like, could, could it be one where even if he if they rebuild his confidence, like, there's a sliver of a chance, or you, you you it's firmly like it's done. Like, it's something where you just you haven't been impressed at all by what you've seen. Yeah, well, this is another guy where it's like, well, it was absolutely worth a shot to to bring him in. He performed well in in the CPL. Um, I think part of it is down to like his role. Um, I, I I have to hold my hands up here and say that uh, Cavalry was one of the teams that I saw less uh, last season. Um, but from what I saw, he was playing in the middle of a back three. Um, and that really emphasized his strengths. He's good in the air. Uh, he can do those big, long switches of play. Uh, and obviously, you know, from the center of defense, he could really hit the whole field. Uh, so, you know, he performed well there uh, he got a lot of plaudits um but uh he's always played in the back four both in the the uh, ccl games he played for the first team and for mls next pro and i think that's exposed some of the problems with him uh one of them being that he's like not very mobile um you know like in in both the uh uh, uh champions league and in mls next pro you've sort of seen guys just kind of push the ball by him and like well, that's it. He's not, he's not catching up to him. Um, so, you know, um, a, another guy who could probably, I'm, I'm sure pretty much every team in the CPL would take him uh, based on his performances there. Uh, it's just, you know, I, I think he's 22. So I, I suppose there's like a slim chance he could still turn it around. Uh, but I, I wouldn't really, I, like, like you said, if they're not trusting him against Pacific or York, then like, you know, it, it clearly to them it's over. So there's there's no point carrying on. I don't think. And then just uh kind of, I mean, I'll group these two guys together with with Aguilar and Amanda. Is it just a? It's primarily like an age thing where if they're not performing at like a a massive level at the next pro, it's just it, the the road's too long at this point for them to create some kind of path. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, Aguilar, uh, like Alex referenced, is the best midfielder on WFC two, but he's also 25. He, he uh, looks good against Portland, but it's like, all right, you know, you're, you're two, yeah. three years older than guys like, you know, guys like Ranko were when they're, you know, Ranko had six seasons of senior experience at like 22 years old. So it's just, you're on Wasn't these completely... like two years older than Ranko. Exactly. <laughs> like, There's already? just these completely different spectrums, right. In terms yes. of the development path. Aguilar would be a great signing for every single team in USL, but he's not going to be like an MLS contributor. And Amanda, honestly, um, like pretty disappointing. There's definitely a reason that's been Levante Johnson that's gotten the uh, the first team chances, of not him. He's had a couple of games where he's been where he's like you know he's scored some goals, but um, really like not not able to establish himself as like a dominant force in the league, uh, not able to honestly, not able to impose himself physically, which is a big concern to me because he's 24 in a league that's full of like teenagers um, and, and obviously early twenties as well. But um, yeah, it's just, you know, you would expect this is a guy who played in the Austrian Bundesliga, albeit not for a huge amount of time, 
this should be a level that he is dominating and he just isn't. I mean, would it be fair to say that he could be a potential like Busto style signing for a CPL team though? Would that be a fair uh, assessment or? Oh yeah. I, I don't know if he's quite as good as Bustos, but um, mm-hmm. he could definitely like any CPL team I'm sure would be extremely happy to have. him. Okay. What what does that leave us with? There's a few a few Mal- other names. I mean, the, Malcolm Malcolm oh, Johnson. Malcolm, I think it. that's the one. You know, people were hyped when uh, the Whitecaps were able to snag him with the pick in the Super Draft, and that it's just it's it's felt like relative radio silence since then. There's there's not been a lot to get excited about since uh, since he was selected. Yeah, he's another guy who like. Well, I I got to be honest, like. Around the draft, everyone was like getting excited for him because he's Alistair's brother. Um, and I was like looking at his Y Scout page. I think I think in my in my season preview, I was like, well, I'm not gonna say that I've watched any NCAA soccer, but I'm looking at this Y Scout page and it's kind of hard to establish like what he's good at exactly, but but he's everyone seems to think he's a first round pick, so I don't know, he must do something. Um, but 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 yeah, uh evidently not. <laughs> Um, he's played as a fullback and like Ba and Gersomenikov are, are way way better than him um, he got cooked 1v1 quite a lot there and he's played in the midfield more lately but again just like not a lot of impacts on either side of the ball uh, so yeah I think I think that's curtains for Malcolm Johnson I, I don't think he's going to be coming back to, to the Whitecaps fold and then uh, there was one more player in that group, which was uh, Simone Massey, but he, I think, was like an SFU player that they signed and took a flyer on. And it just didn't work out. And, ah, well, you know, maybe I'm sure we'll see a lot of him in League One BC in the future, maybe even CPL, um, but just like not going to be an MLS player. Probably not. He might He might own me. He might make it to MLS and score against the Whitecaps and, and everyone will be like, ah, that idiot. The, this is the known as the Dominic Zator special. Uh, it does happen. Uh, I was going to say, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't see a lot of, I don't see a lot of uh, potential of that happening. Well, I'd say those, it's the center backs. They're the, they're the tough ones to, to project. And maybe that's why I'm, I'm sitting here holding on to my hope to, to, to Krifa Yao. But I guess we've kind of, we've done a very comprehensive look at the, the second team. I'm kind of curious. I mean, we, we, we've hinted it a few times with Yesley. Are, are there, you know, first of all, what have you seen from Ryan Yesley, you know, Valor goalkeeper that has made him an intriguing, you know, look? And who are some other CPL players that you've seen that have just kind of popped up? Be like, ooh, this is someone if I'm Whitecaps too. Like this is this is house money. This is a chance to to take a look and maybe find a Levante Johnson, maybe find, a, you know, a Mo Farsi. Well, I think there's two slam dunks in the cpl in terms of like probably not even wfc2 like probably straight into the first team and those are yesley and sean young on pacific uh so starting with yesley since uh you asked about him first um so he if people are not familiar he's a six foot seven goalkeeper uh and um he in terms of like goals saved above expected is not just leading the league he is lapping the competition like three times the level of the next closest guy. Um, and I think when you look at the performances of Jonathan Sirwa in uh, MLS this season, uh, you know, maybe not the best, maybe not going to be an MLS all-star, but like a reliable, 
league average number one guy. And then you see uh, Yesley's numbers compared to his. They compare very favorably. Obviously, they were on the same team and they were pretty much splitting starts towards the end of that time. Uh, so I think that's a, just compare that comparison makes an extremely compelling case for Yesley as able to be an MLS contributor, uh, especially as the Whitecaps have uh, don't really have anyone they're very confident putting in goal behind Takoka. I think that's been made pretty clear. Um, so I think he'd be, uh, he'd be a good signing. Also, uh, the image of a six foot seven and a five eleven goalkeeper warming up together would be very funny. So, so just from that perspective, <laughs> I think it would be great. Um, I think in terms of weaknesses for him, uh, you know, he's not as good with his feet as Taco is, uh, very few goalkeepers are. Um, but you know, in terms of like a backup you can put in without panicking, I'm pretty confident he could clear that bar. Um, and then we move on to, uh, Sean Young for Pacific. He's had a bit of a, a breakout season. Uh, uh, real heads will remember this is a guy I like identified as one to watch back in like 2021, I want to say, uh, when I did an article on like guys, basically guys to look out for who would be like domestic, uh, usable players for the white cats. Um, and the big appeal of Sean Young is, uh, his like box arriving, uh, I, I did some sort of back of the napkin math. And uh, if we assume like a 30% drop off in his production from, from uh, uh, CPL to MLS, that's usually about what it is for USL players. Um, and if we assume CPL and USL are about the same, roughly, um, then I think Young would be in like the top 10 most productive center mids in the league. Um, so just that right there makes him an exciting player uh he's young i think like his on the ball is not amazing and i think his defending is like okay but not super amazing so i'm not saying he would play like three thousand minutes for the white caps but i think it's pretty clear that he has um he has the capabilities to be uh at least like a guy again you could just put on there in the canadian championship or even an mls game and not be like Oh God, I hope this, I hope this works out. Um, you know, and also he's really tall and wins a lot of headers, which is something that, uh, the Whitecaps have had trouble with, uh, this season. Uh, now if we're looking at WFC two guys, um, I think, uh, there's maybe a few players, um, you might want to, um, you might want to dangle the, the Lowell Wright deal in front of their team. Uh, one that I have, been looking at a little bit recently is Tiago Coimbra on Halifax. Um, a very like inconsistent player. Um, he's had like a, a few big games and then a few games where he's been uh, pretty quiet, but he's, you know, 19. So that's kind of to be expected. And that's like a guy you could throw into next pro and, and see what happens. And like the, the, it's an upside swing. Uh, so that's a guy. And then if we're looking at like, um, the need for depth in the midfield, as we've talked about, um, you know, I, Alex will know better than me who's coming through on that, that U19 team. Um, I think uh, they've got a guy, uh, Jeevan Bodwell, who I saw at the mm-hmm. under 17 uh, CONCACAF uh, qualifiers, who I thought was quite good. Um, but obviously he's a few years away, even from, from next pro. Um, so uh, looking at that, that, and now, I'm, I'm sort of blanking on the pronunciation of this guy's last name, but there's a guy on cavalry. Uh, his name starts with a 
uh, K, I want to say. He's oh, Kobza. Eric that's Kobza. the one. Yes. Um, that's a shout. That's a shout. I haven't seen like a ton of him, but I, the the stats look solid enough, and he's a regularly playing U twenty three Canadian defensive midfielder slash center back, and that's what WFC two desperately needs. So I might dangle the Lowell right deal in front of cavalry cavalry for that and then of course the other regularly playing under 23 canadian center mid is cedric toussaint on uh, pacific a guy i like a lot um uh good uh tackler good uh range of passing uh a little older 22 but you know as we saw with levante johnson these guys can they can pan out uh so uh he might be a guy you you might want to take a risk on as well um and then you know there's a there's a couple of other guys who are sort of floating around uh gote in 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 is that how you pronounce it on on cavalry he's a guy who's i think shown a bit of an uptick in the last couple of weeks uh i'm trying to think who else uh uh who's on uh uh ottawa how how would you Uh, think of bajos is that the guy oh yeah zachariah bahus he's like another another young guy who's like playing a lot like None of these are necessarily like slam dunk. Oh, definitely going to be an MLS player, but like, oh, there's something there, and we need guys in this position, so maybe we we take a flyer on them. Uh, but yes, you were going to say something. Well, I was going to say if if we're talking maybe a couple fullbacks, what have you seen of Matteo De Brienne and then also Kwasi Poku? Because I feel oh, like those are kind of uh, yes, Kwasi younger Poku, ones who could be in. The... Very good shout for this kind of guy. Um, gets forward quite well from what I've seen um you know uh young and that's that's the big thing is like like making positive contributions at a young age uh so Kwasi Poku definitely and now uh Dibrian is he 21 I want to say he, he's still he counts for your 21 minutes so he's okay he's so 20 he's, I still think 20. so he's still young yeah then, then he's a shout yeah he's he's obviously um he's like a nailed on starter and he's under 23 in a position where they've got obviously one guy in, in Gerson Menkov uh who's really good but you know he's away with moldova sometimes uh so uh you know yeah i nothing wrong you know i wouldn't necessarily go dropping like 200k up front on these guys willy-nilly but but like basically yeah like i said earlier any any u23 player in the cpl who's like showing anything you might you might as well take that flyer on since it seems like these guys want to be on mls next pro teams by and large I was just going to add to that too. Um, in terms of like where you see MLS Next Pro and the CPL sitting in relation to one another, um, is there some value? Like, it doesn't seem like the Whitecaps have done a ton of this, other than that the goalkeeper position or like with Cam Happy Bull and things are a little bit weird. But having players within the Whitecaps development structure going to the CPL for a while. Just like, how do you see the interaction between those two leagues? Because it it has been a bit surprising the way CPL players have wanted and coveted those next pro spots at times. Yeah, well, I think I think CPL is a higher level than than next pro. Um, the guys who have come over from uh, CPL to to next pro have mostly performed better than they did in CPL, which is you know an indication that it's a slightly. Um, it's a slightly uh, weaker league in terms of how difficult it is to like, you know, score and stuff. Um, but, you know, also you obviously have more control over that player when they're, they're in your system. 
you know, they're not going to get like buried and, and do weird Instagram posts about how the haters don't believe in them. Uh, they might still do that, but but at least, you know, you can dictate how much they play. Um, and, you know, uh, so th- so it's, it's a balancing act, right? Um, CPL, it's a development league to an extent, yes, but it's also like, it matters much more uh, who wins and who loses. Uh, you're going to be uh, battling it out uh, uh, with um, with um, you know guys who are trying to put put food on the table for their family. Um, so yeah, definitely more intense. Certainly could be good for a bit of a step up if if a player needs it. Uh, but uh, also, of course, you have the risk that there's less control and then they may uh, you know get benched or or any any number of weird things could happen. Well, well, Caleb, all I want to say is thank you, thank you very much for for hopping on and uh, just diving into a bit of the weeds with us because that's certainly what we we love to do on this show as you know very well. And yeah, we're certainly gonna have to revisit some of these names, right? Because that's I think that's always the 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 fun part is revisiting these tiers and revisiting some of these CPL guys and seeing where they're at and certainly going to be fascinated to, to keep an eye on this caps too. Uh, Cause I think there's talent there. I think there's talent. We were talking about it off the top of the show, uh, you know, just, or even before the show, there's talent there. on earth it and find other ways to integrate players into that first team beyond the, we'll only drop you in if there's a injury crisis at the first team slash, you know, <laughs> approach, but, third sub we we see a lot there but i know you obviously do some some fun scouting work that people might want to keep yeah uh well obviously i'm on the third sub score cable on twitter and I also contribute for a website uh, called Target Scouting, which uh, covers sort of more niche uh, niche markets. So you see a lot of MLS, CPL, uh, and like <laughs> New Zealand and Australia for me there. Uh, so yeah, definitely recommend people check that out. And uh, thank you very much for having me. have it a very uh all-encompassing chat i mean sam quickly to i mean recap i guess i mean what stood out to you from that i mean uh any any players now that all of a sudden you're looking at okay maybe i want to see a bit more or someone now that you're a bit like okay maybe uh maybe maybe it's time to, to be a bit concerned about because i mean caleb certainly we, we touched on everyone it felt like yeah so i'll preface by saying as someone who's read and like been kind of along with Caleb's work for a long time, he definitely, he approaches player development from like, he, he has his own lens and it's a lot of data-driven stuff. So I think it's interesting because um, it's maybe different than the way we talk about developing players sometimes. Like I'm definitely, I feel like a lot more storyline driven and obviously 
you know, statistics play a part in that age profile, all that stuff plays a part. But I think I tend to get like emotionally invested at times. And Caleb has this way of just sort of putting through that. And it's like, no, what are their metrics? What's their profile? Does this profile succeed? Yes or no. So it's interesting to have that slightly different voice. In terms of specific players at the next pro level, uh, at the developmental level, it was nice to hear a vote of confidence for Ba. Um, I, I think that was that mm. was nice to hear that he's taking those steps. Um, the Coopland and Happy Bullet discussions. Um, I, I might have thought that Coopland was closer, but interesting that despite Happy Bullet's deficiencies, it sounds like Caleb still, you know, believes in in his quality at least to maybe be a fringe MLS contributor. And uh, no, none of the guys, honestly, none of the guys that were disappointments were were massive surprises. I, I don't think it's just uh, you get to a certain age in that development path and uh, it's a long road, right? So uh, yeah, I really appreciate Caleb coming on. Um, I mean, I don't know for you, Alex, if there's anyone that really was like a, whoa, a bit of a, a bit of a surprising tier for you. Yeah, I mean, I was just, uh, again, what I'm, what I'm impressed with with Caleb as well is that he bring he's ruthless. He he's ruthless. So that's why the the he gone category is probably the most fascinating. Because I think a lot of the other ones you're kind of like okay you could agree uh you know you could see it it's it's always easier to look at the players about what they could be but again that efficiency to see maybe you know that okay he he gone I mean uh, again it makes it fascinating to to see especially again Karifa Yao like what to make of of him uh, is it something where do they go ruthless and just you know cut their losses so to speak or is there maybe a bit more of a player there um and that's also again where i guess if we're talking about the you you, you like storylines caleb likes numbers um i'm old school in the sense that i love my numbers but i love the eye test i just i see something and i i, I like it and i don't know i saw some, it's, there's something about Kree for Yao that he, he has some on ball qualities some dominance in the air that just needs to be on earth but also right like if he He's struggling with the with, with turns and other things of that regard, how much of that can be fixed and you know, or how much of that can be can be massaged. So gonna be fascinating to see. I thought that that was probably the most interesting section. Just okay, like these guys like or Malcolm Johnston or some like, some of these other uh players. So gonna be interesting. Absolutely. We'll just round off the show here quickly. We'll we'll jump around the CPL and we'll talk a little bit of League One BC. So in terms of the British Columbia CPL teams, Pacific had been cruising the entire season, everything going their way for the most part, and they've hit a bit of a rut recently. We were talking about before the show, it doesn't feel like their play has been all that. It hasn't been poor. They just have maybe taken a slight step back, and, and they're not getting the results ultimately. Yeah, I think it's something where I'm not too worried about Pacific yet. Their underlying numbers have them still dominating offensively. And even defensively, they've been very good. It's just, you know, kind of they are what they are, uh, you know, in terms of young goalkeepers finding their feet between uh, Kieran Basket and Emil Gazdov. So it's going to be interesting to see how they get out of this, though, right? Because that was kind of the beginning of the year, that stretch where they couldn't score. They were playing well, and they've kind of returned to that. But we saw how they responded. They came out and kind of got their feet going again so this is going to be a good test because i think now what we're seeing is teams are playing them tight they're playing them as the leaders and uh you know that they'll command a bit more respect because of that and uh now what's going to really be the make or break because they play a lot of games on the road they've had a very home heavy schedule and that's helped them kind of rack up the points but 
Pacific's looked good on the road despite that. Like, yeah, they lost at Halifax, but that was one where it's like, you know, the conditions, uh, you, the performance wasn't a bad performance. But other than that, they've been very good on the road. They beat Ottawa away commandingly. They went to Valor and Drew, which, again, a draw on the road's never bad in, in the CPL. Uh, they drew York away, which is not a bad result on the road. And, you know, certainly had some chances to win, if not for Nico Giantsopolis. So, like, overall, Pacific's not in a, a bad position. It's just one where... They just got to, you know, find that little form. And it's going to be interesting now with teams hot on their tail. They kind of, that advantage can close quick. So it's a matter of can they figure it out while maintaining their spot on top of the table. Uh, the, these next five, 10 games will be crucial if they are to win a play, uh, win the league title, regular season title, I mean, and book that Champions League spot. And then, um, you know, flipping to uh, to the mainland, Vancouver FC, they're sitting in the bottom of the table. That being said, I mean, they, they got a big home win over Halifax. Previously, back in late June, they, they had the victory over Forge, obviously. So there have been some good moments. It seems like just defensively and in terms of consistency, uh, there's still a way to go. But they have been adding some reinforcements recently. And it looks like there, there is going to be some roster turnover here as they continue to, to tweak and try to find the right recipe and maybe uh, maybe they can climb up the table at least a little bit the rest of this CPL season. Yeah, it's going to be intriguing to see because uh, they've made certainly some key signings. I think what's you know been clear is that this team needs more goals. This team needs to shore up in midfield. So the fact that they you know got one of the all-time leading scorers in Alejandro Diaz, uh, kind of capitalizing on the fact that uh, you know he kind of fell out of favor a bit over in Norway that's a big signing up front and it's one where it actually complements Sean Hundal quite nicely. Just that Hundal loves to run the channels. Diaz kind of likes to drop in deep so they can play up together up front and Diaz can almost fill in a bit as a 10 too. something that Vancouver's kind of lacked, especially that they've now terminated the contract of uh, Gael Sandoval. And then in midfield, they desperately needed a six. So Renan Garcia, I mean, it'll be interested to see how he holds up fitness wise, legs wise. He hasn't played all that lot over the last five, six years. But as he showed on Van- in, in the Vancouver, his debut, he has some qualities on the ball that will be immense. And if he can keep up off the ball, that would be a huge signing because all of a sudden, yeah, between those two arriving, between Mickey Cantav coming in and being an a, a, immediate addition on the wing, you add in Caden Chung's eventually going to come back and give them a bit of depth at the back. Like Vancouver, all of a sudden, will have good pieces across the lineup and something where if they can just find a bit of consistency, get a couple wins together – you saw with Ottawa, Ottawa won three in a row and all of a sudden they went from eighth, like tied for eighth with Vancouver all the way up to fourth. Like it's something where everything's tight enough that if you can get a couple wins for Vancouver and, you know, they still got a few home games coming up, like there, there's chance for them to still climb. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be, be interesting to watch. You know, I think the nice thing is that even though Pacific's at the top of the CPL table, Vancouver FC's at the bottom, there's interesting storylines to watch out for with, with both sides at the moment. Um, and, and speaking of interesting storylines in BC soccer, League One BC, the regular season is winding down and things are getting interesting, especially on the men's side. A huge congrats to uh, the Whitecaps women's team for securing top spot. Uh, they're going head-to-head with not Mod all season. Both of those women's teams, pretty dominant, uh, very strong performers, 46 and 48 goals for respectively, uh, just filling the net and, uh, and, and Vancouver looking very strong or, or Alex, have they secured the overall yet? Or is it, is it still mathematically possible for someone 
to to win the combined table for men's and women's. It would basically take a disaster if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it's something where it's like the white caps, their magic numbers, something like one or, or three or something like that. So between their uh, their their women's team and their men's team both being in action against, oh boy, I want to say it's they're, they're they're playing the rivers next week and rivers have kind of struggled, especially on the women's side. Like it's, it, it's something where they, they should win. I think, um, yeah, literally the only way, the only team left are the Rovers in it and the Rovers need to take all six points off the Highlanders and rivers need to take all six off Vancouver. Like it's the magic number is down to one. Um, so uh, it's going to be somewhere chance for the white Cavs to continue to get a little uh, bit of silverware in league one. And, Actually, they they could potentially be the first ever team to, uh, uh, you know, get a treble because obviously they've secured the women's. They won't secure the men's, but they got the Juan de Fuca plate. Um, so they're, they're the only team with two with both of their teams in the playoffs for now. The Rovers could still join them. Um, so, hey, there's a there's a chance for them to really get some some silverware. So uh, going to be interesting to see how the Whitecaps do. And then on the men's side, we were talking about it before the show, a, a absolutely massive matchup between the top two teams in the men's division, Highlanders, TSS Rovers on the island upcoming. Uh, that's going to be a massive one. And, and it's coming right down to the wire outs. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, uh, it's something where that, that men's division, this might be the game of the season before the playoffs even start, right? Like the, the, the game to watch in the regular season that like you can't write it up any better right like the chance to win the regular season tied for points two historical teams as well like the highlanders and the rovers other than the white caps are two of the oldest teams they have the the juan de fuca rivalry dating back you know a decade they played each other all the time in pdl in the in, in usl league two like I think it's something where this is going to be a very cool storyline and I'm, I'm i'm fascinated to see the fact that winner takes all on Victoria, especially because that's the Canadian championship spot, right? Like that's a chance to potentially host a CPL team, host an MLS team. You saw what that meant to the Rovers last year. Uh, so I think that's going to be a, a game to to not miss. And uh, also I must say, I just, just to correct myself, Unity is also in the contention to win both trophies because their men's and women's team made it. But uh, also, of, of course, they also didn't quite win the Juan de Fuca, so they couldn't win a treble. I just want to clarify on that. But yes, on the, in the men's division, going to be fascinating to see. Plus, because seeding comes into play either way, right? If Whoever wins, if the Rovers also gets a Unity in the first round. Unity has been no slouch this year. They made some good signings on the men's side. Uh, they picked up Victory Shambusho from Not Somewhat. That hurt Not Somewhat, who ended up missing out on the playoffs altogether after finishing uh, first, uh, you know, in the in the men's division last year. They also picked up Mihai Hodit from Not Somewhat. So Unity did a bit of a raid of Not Somewhat and ended up paying off for them. So that's going to be a tough matchup. And also the Whitecaps in third. They've been a solid team, especially when all their pieces are there. And you have to imagine for the playoffs, the, they'll, they'll, they'll load up. So it's going to be you know, two tough battles and that seeding could, could pay off between the two. So I'll finish off the show then by asking where are you headed this weekend? Oh yeah. we you know, we're, we're keeping a, a close eye on everything. League one actually a bit quiet because all the big games are out in the Island. And I want to head out to the Island, but I'm, I have some stuff to take care of uh, this weekend. So I'm going to Vancouver FC versus Cavalry on Saturday uh, I was tempted to to go to the island for Pacific Forge because that's a phenomenal game, but I'm doing social media for that one, so I'm gonna need some my, my strong Wi-Fi in my home base. 
Uh, so I wish I was out there for, for that one. But uh, those are the, the two big ones in CPL this weekend, two local games. And then in League One, I mean, if you can get out to Victoria, get out to the island. Because I don't know if you can get both, but uh, altitude, a travel to, to Harborside, I want to say. Or no, yeah, altitude travel to Harborside. That's going to be also a big game on the, the women's side. Uh, Harborside is in, so altitude could play a bit spoiler. And then, of course, for 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 the that one, it's Rovers Highlanders because Rovers women can get in. Rovers Highlanders men, it's the top of the table. Unfortunately, I cannot make it, but that's one where if you can get out and maybe hey, maybe if you're lucky, you can. I think you can time it that you can go to Pacific Forge on Friday and then hit the Highlanders Rovers the next day or on Sunday. I forget which of the two it is. Well, it's, how fantastic is that? That such a great variety of BC soccer on the island this upcoming weekend. Uh, yeah, can't can't be all about the mainland all the time, right? Gotta gotta give some love to to those over on the island as well. So, uh, looking forward to that. Looking forward to uh, the Whitecaps in League's Cup against a team that isn't from MLS. Uh, that will be interesting. Maybe we'll be diving into that a little bit later in the week. But uh, Alex, any final thoughts here before we sign off? All I'm saying uh, is, lastly, the game is on Saturday, Rovers Highlanders. So I just to get my dates right, and yeah, excited for for what's to come. Should be uh, should be a good weekend. Hopefully, y'all enjoyed this this episode. No better time to to get Caleb on with this bit of a weird break coming up. I mean, League's Cup will be cool. Just as it's coming at a bit of a hectic time, so I'll be interested to see how much people follow. Because I mean, it is going to be fascinating to see how the Whitecaps approach this. But I'm sure we'll dive into that after the fact but uh yeah no, that's pretty much uh it for me you've certainly heard enough of us uh today so thanks for all who who did dive in and, and get stuck into the weeds with us it was a good time and you can uh, find me on twitter at alex gongiruzik on threads slash instagram at ag on the case um so those apps are certainly threads takes hold slowly and then uh you can find of course uh all the work on on socials between the third sub one soccer etc yeah, you can find me as always at Samuel underscore rowboat on Twitter, at underscore Samro on threads. If you're into that sort of thing, uh, you can find the third sub brand at large on threads, on Instagram, on Twitter, at our website, thirdsub.ca, all that good stuff. Um, yeah, thanks so much for listening, everyone. I'll chat again soon.